0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member of
1: This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. <sighs>
2: Everyone and welcome to Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's coming up on 7:01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. Good morning, Michelle.
3: Good morning, Randy. How are you today?
2: I'm doing great. You had a great golf event yesterday at Family Golf and Learning Center. How'd that go?
3: It was wonderful. They had a Celebrity Closest to the Pin Challenge on their amazing golf simulators that they have out there. The facilities are absolutely stunning, Randy. We need to get out there. We should have a show meeting at one of the golf simulators. That's, that's a good idea. That's my proposal. Um, but they had a star studded lineup. You had Carolyn Kendall Betts, you had Kalia Collier, Darren Pang, Chris Pronger, and Ozzy Smith. And we had talked about it on the show yesterday. You had your money on Panger. I did. Who had a great showing. But the wizard, Randy, walked away with bragging rights. Yeah, and I,
2: I took Panger by a nose over Ozzy. And Ozzy is unbelievable. And so I'm not surprised that he came away with a victory. You
3: should have seen how good each one of these contestants was. Carolyn Kendall Betts started things off with an unbelievable shot. And she was in the lead for a while. And it was just each person that went up there had a shot that you thought, OK, they might take this thing. It was really competitive <laughs> and really great. And I just encourage everyone to go out there. And it, it really doesn't matter what level your golf your golf game is at, what your skill set is. They can give you lessons. They have heated bays at the driving range. You could do the golf simulator with your family. It's a really, really special place. Good.
2: Family Golf and Learning Center. We have Blues Hockey tonight. They're in Vegas to take on the Golden Knights. 7 o'clock with Alex Ferrario in the pregame show. 8 o'clock, puck drop. Chris Kerber, Joey Vitali will have the call. And it's the first time the Blues have an opportunity to play against Alex Petrangelo. Our Blues insider from The Athletic. The one and only Jeremy Rutherford talked to Petro about the game and asked about whether or not he's nervous to play against the Blues.
4: You know what? A lot of people have asked me if I'm nervous and all that, but I think I've I made the decision, and I think if it was something that was like a trade middle of the season and I wasn't expecting it, I think maybe it would be, be a little bit more difficult. But going into the process, you know, we've kind of wrapped our head around it once it actually happened, so we're comfortable with it. And I'm sure it'll be a little bit strange tomorrow, but again, I, I said yesterday, the guys asked me, I was like, listen, I, eventually i got to play them, and i was just do it eight times in one year and get over it.
2: I would think that that'd be especially with the the bond that this particular group has with Petro winning a cup with most of these guys. It'd be a little bit
5: nerve-wracking.
3: I was thinking about this last night. If you were the athlete that left a place where you had had great success, you were a leader, you were synonymous with that team and that sport and that community, and you left, would you rather have it unfold the way Alex Petrangelo's did or Albert Pujols? Where with Albert Pujols, there was such time in between when he left and when he returned that there weren't any weird feelings. It was just appreciation for him and what he was able to accomplish in St. Louis and what he meant to the community. Whereas with Alex Petrangelo, it's immediate. It's early in the season, right after the decision was essentially made. He's coming in with a team that is a direct threat to the Blues. That's the
2: key, their (laughs) arrival.
3: Yeah. So I don't know which I would prefer. I I almost lean towards Petro just to get it out of the way.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. And by the way, for all of our consternation about the Blues, they win tonight. They're within a point of Vegas for first in the division, in the Honda West division. So we, we think it's bad because of the back end of these uh, two-game series have been so bad. But if they can just get one here, then all of a sudden we, we're feeling good. And then we we have the second game of the series. Yeah, I was going (laughs) to say we feel good until tomorrow night.
3: But that's why the consternation exists because the first game's efforts and skill is not matching up with the the second game. And if that's a trend that persists, you won't have to be worried about catching Vegas.
2: No, not at all. Baseball. The Cardinals are supposed to start spring training in Florida in mid February, a little less than a month, maybe three weeks from now. Yesterday. The Cactus League in Arizona asked Major League Baseball to delay the start of spring training. They sent Commissioner Rob Manfred a letter asking for the delay because of the COVID-19 pandemic in Maricopa County in Arizona. That's according to multiple reports. And, Michelle, you would have to think that if the Cactus League has to delay the start of spring training, that the Grapefruit League would follow suit because 15 teams play in each spring training locale.
3: I would I would imagine that they would both do it in concert with one another. But this one was difficult for me because while I do understand the thought process behind pushing things back a month, especially because where they're uh, intending to go is a hot spot and mm-hmm. we're still in the middle of a pandemic, the other argument on the other side is that other leagues are playing right now and are figuring it out. And as much as I love baseball, I hate the posturing back and forth. I hate the the negotiating tactics, the the things that get used as leverage between the the players and the owners and the scheduling and all of this stuff. And I just, I see this and what we're going to discuss about the DH and expanded playoffs and all of that just trending in another bad direction for baseball.
2: Yeah, but this is the cities, though. This is the eight cities that house those teams and the governments. I, I think it is one thing if it's players against owners, but when you've got the league's executive director, and this is a money grab for Arizona. This is this is probably their most lucrative thing for these individual communities. So when you have those cities, the tribal community, and the entire county, a having one of the highest infection rates in the country, and b. Those people coming together and say, no, we can't take your money right now. That seems to me to be to be a pretty serious issue.
3: But do we really think a month is going to make that much of a difference?
2: You would hope so. And especially down there, you've got so many old people. Hopefully, Arizona would have more access to vaccines than a lot of communities would. But yeah, I, th- I think things are coming down. I, I don't want it to happen. I don't want this thing to be delayed. But I can see why Maricopa County would want to do it because... They want to get as many people into the stands as they possibly can. And it's possible that baseball will get all of their players down there anyway and say, no, we aren't going to listen to you. We aren't going to have any fans. We're going to do what we did last year during the season. We're going to have social distancing and we're going to get our season started on, on time. But they'll have to do it, obviously, with the objections of their home cities in place. Meanwhile, as you mentioned, Major League Baseball's Players Association rejected the Universal DH and the expanded playoffs for 2021. Major League Baseball Players Association turned down the proposal and ESPN reporting that NL teams that have used the DH when playing in AL Parks since interleague play started in 1997 would continue that format rather than having the DH like we did last year. Uh, I guess the players think that this is a really important thing for the owners. If the the owners, the National League owners, don't have the designated hitter, their rosters are going to be less expensive. The, the, they're hurting their own cause. They're hurting their own constituency by turning this down.
3: Because then you have baseball players who don't have as many options. If yeah. you were going to be a DH, your pool of potential suitors is smaller. Right. So you hurt, as you said, your own people.
2: Yeah. If you're Marcelo Zuna, if you're Nelson Cruz and you see your own u- union doing this thing, okay, you're going to take away half of the teams that can use me, I'd be pretty ticked off. Few things
3: in sports make me as mad as the fact that we still have not settled on one universal rule for baseball, that this DH thing is still a conversation in 2021. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, t-
2: nobody ever accused Major League Baseball <laughs> of being the, the brightest bulbs in regards to packaging their product
3: it's they just continue to get in their own way it really bothers me
2: and i liked the expanded playoffs but not having expanded playoffs now that hurts the owners i don't know what the owners are going to give up to get the expanded playoffs but they've already signed the deal that's a problem that they have they've already signed the tv deal for expanded playoffs so i don't know what they give up that makes the players say okay well i'll take that in exchange for expanded playoffs
3: yeah i wonder what they're going to put on the table It just is so apparent that both sides still have negative feelings towards one Mm -hmm. another and that it's not getting any better anytime soon.
2: We had the rare Yankees-Red Sox trade yesterday. Adam Atavino, the former Cardinal first-round draft choice, goes from the Yankees to the Red Sox for minor league right-hander Frank Hermann and a player to be named later, or Cash. So that's the deal there. And yesterday... The official announcement by the University of Missouri that they have hired former Arizona Cardinals head coach Steve Wilkes as their new defensive coordinator. Here is head coach Eli Drinkwitz on how he was able to get Wilkes to come. Um, I think we're all looking for the right opportunities. You
6: know, for us, core value number four is enjoy the journey. You know, football is—it's uh, not really a destination-oriented business. It's really about the journey, being on the journey with people that you really care about, being aligned. Uh, alignment is to me, the the greatest indicator of success. can We all be aligned in our core values and our goals. And so just really tried to share with him what our vision for Mizzou football is and what our goals are on a daily basis and how we go about accomplishing those goals. And I think those resonated with both of us on what we think is important. And, uh, you know, ultimately, um, Coach had a lot of opportunities, a lot of different places that he could have ended up being. But uh, I think the opportunity to be at Mizzou get into the best college you know get into the best conference in college football uh and to establish himself here uh, as a great defensive coordinator I think is uh just going to open up a lot of doors for him in the future
2: and by the way he did say we're going to talk to coach Wilkes at the bottom of the hour uh he talked about how he wanted to be at a place where he could be for a while because he was one and done in Arizona one and done in Cleveland Mm -hmm. and he wanted to get to a place where he could stay for a while
3: Hopefully that means Coach Drinkwitz is going to stay for a while as well.
2: Yeah, (laughs) that's a good point. Because that's a concern, I'm
3: sure, for Mizzou fans after he had the success that he had this season. I'm sure a lot of people paid attention to what Coach Drinkwitz is building at Mizzou and are viewing him as a potential candidate to poach for bigger programs, because that's how these things happen.
2: And Eli talked about Mizzou's core values, and that always brings back the four pillars. Congratulations to Spags being in the Super Bowl. The four pillars faith character core values team first good those job brandy thank you i remember the four pillars
3: i interviewed chris long for my podcast and i don't think he could remember all four yeah. of those <laughs> but he also said that there was a they had a backpack with different sayings on it that there was mm-hmm. a lot of sayings and a lot of acronyms going on during this bag. there <laughs>
2: <laughs> a lot of stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, except the, for winning yeah the greatest one the rams ever had when they were here Was when, and I brought this up before, Bulger was the quarterback and he's not the most dynamic personality. And Linehan was the head coach and there was no personality. And they've got this TV campaign, I believe. And you're (laughs) supposed to have the fans saying, I believe. So you've got Bulger, I believe. And and Linehan, who was just as dry as could be, I believe. Really selling it, you know? Did they play
3: that on the Jumbotron?
2: They had TV spots. It was a TV campaign. Oh, man.
3: <laughs> Brutal. I believe. <laughs> no one believed.
2: No. No one believed. Coming up on character and Smallman, tonight will be the reveal of the 2021 Major League Baseball Hall of Fame class. Who would Michelle and I put in? And we want to hear from you with the mic drop feature, the Rhino Shield mic drop, or, and, or, the air comfort service text line 65780 of the group that is eligible to go in who would you vote for and who would you keep out it's next on 101 ESPN we're right back
1: to the character and Smallman podcast
2: on 101 ESPN tonight on MLB Network Greg Amsinger will anchor the coverage of Major League Baseball's 2021 hall of fame announcement and there's an expectation michelle that uh, among many at least that there might not be anybody elected to the baseball hall of fame tonight there might be a class of zero and of course you have last year's class that would go in for 2021 the 2020 induction group but i think there are people that should go in and as we put together our votes and our groups uh I think that we'll come up with several people that should go in. So let's just go one by one through the candidates, and we'll say whether or not they should be in. And if you'd like to weigh in with a mic drop feature, if you're totally against what we think, or if you think somebody should be in that we don't have in, feel free to leave us a mic drop with the 101 ESPN app. And you can also send us a text, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. All right, let's start with Bobby Abreu. Do you have Bobby Abreu in the Hall of Fame? I do not. I do not either. He's a good player, but not a Hall of Famer. Barry Bonds. I do. I do too. Even if 80% of the players, as Ken Caminiti said, were using steroids, he was still the best guy. It was a level playing field when he was playing. And I can use the Bob Costas argument too, which is legit. If, before, if, if you just take Barry Bonds' career before he's ever expected of using PEDs in 1999, He would have been a Hall of Famer then. 86 through 99, he put up Hall of Fame numbers. So I'm putting him in the Hall of Fame. And by the way, the reason I I know that the the thought of performance enhancers is there, he never got suspended. He never was, he never tested positive when baseball had a rule in place where you could get suspended for using performance enhancers.
3: He was an incredible, incredible player. And I find there to be such gray area when it comes to performance enhancers and the hall of fame because we're pretty sure that there are people that are already in the hall of fame who have used yes and while i don't encourage it certainly there is a spectrum of things that players have probably used throughout history some that are more severe than others but what's that delineation and I I just think that Barry Bonds, as you mentioned, by the time any of this stuff got brought to light or discussions were had, he was already an incredible player, already a Hall of Fame player. So I would put him in.
2: Here's a tough one. And especially as we go down the list, St. Louis and Mark Burley. I, I, I don't have Mark in, but I can make a great case for him.
3: I did not check the box, but I really wanted to.
2: Uh, Mark won 214 games in his major league career and had an earned run average of 3.81. 214 and 160 with a 3.81 earned run average and, of course, a couple of no-hitters. Kurt Schilling, who we'll talk about later, was 216 and 146 with a 3.46. So Burley was close, but we both have Burley out. A.J. Burnett, nice career, but no, right? Mm-mm. Roger Clemens.
3: I, I checked yes.
2: For the same reasons that we have bonds, right? Exactly. If you're going to make the argument, uh, you just look at the performance and the numbers are absolutely di- dominant. Michael Kodire, no. no. Dan Herron? No. He's a Cardinal. Started his career with the Cardinals. Did you check it? I did not. <laughs> you uh, want to, but we didn't. Yeah. Latroy Hawkins, no. no. Todd Helton is another interesting case. And I just, I hate to penalize guys because of Coors Field. I know. But I'm going to penalize Todd Helton because of Coors Field.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Because of the altitude. You're just going to say he's a product of playing in that ballpark. Yeah, that was difficult, too, because you want to say yes. But I I wonder if he's going to have a spike in votes this year because people aren't really there are some people that jump out but they have controversy tied to them, players on this list, mm-hmm. and that will cause some people not to vote for them. So I wonder if people like Todd Helton might get more of a deeper look from some of the writers. I think they will. I think they will too.
2: Another guy that you really have to look closely at is Tim Hudson, who during the regular season had a better career than Kurt Schilling. He, I shouldn't say that because Schilling had eight magnificent seasons, several where he was among the top two or three pitchers in the game. But if you look at the body of work, Tim Hudson's career was better than Kurt Schilling's career. Did you vote for him? I didn't. <laughs> and and here is why: I, I don't think, uh, I, for me, Kurt Schilling. And we'll get to him in a moment. But Kurt Schilling is borderline. I I, I put him in that group with Burley and Hudson. But he was so magnificent during the postseason. That's the difference. He, he was lucky enough to play on good teams and then perform on that stage. Torrey Hunter, great player, but no, no. Andrew Jones. Okay. We both have the same thought process here. Go ahead with Andrew Jones.
3: Well, I think he was a great player. When I was researching his career last night, I kept thinking, Jim Edmonds is better than Andrew Jones. Yeah. And so I don't want to penalize him for that, but I also feel a certain type of way about checking the box and not having someone like Jim Edmonds in there. And I know that's not his fault, but I certainly, that's the measuring stick that I was holding him to was Jim Edmonds.
2: I agree. Jeff Kent, who made it a point to tell players that were his teammates, we aren't friends, we never will be friends. He made it a point to want to leave baseball with no friends. But he also left baseball with more home runs than any second baseman had ever hit. He had 1,518 RBIs. He had a career OPS of 855, and at that position at that time, that was pretty good. I've got Jeff Kent on my list. I, I think Jeff Kent, although not spectacular defensively, made the plays but he was one of the best offensive second basemen of all time, so I'm going with him.
3: You are. Interesting. I did not.
2: Okay. Andy Pettit, another guy. He was magnificent during the postseason, but didn't have the regular season career. And people, he he was found to have taken HGH and was suspended for it.
3: I checked yes because of the postseason body of work.
2: It's incredible. And he, he had a good reason. He He was being a team player when he took the HGH. He was hurt. And just wanted to get back more quickly than he normally would. Aramis Ramirez. Pretty good third baseman during his career. No. Manny Ramirez.
3: This might have been the most difficult one. Because he was popped. Yes, he was. And we were talking about this prior to the show. You want to check yes because of the performances. Even though he got popped for using enhancers. But to your point... There was a rule in place at the time. And do we penalize him for taking enhancers or do we penalize him for being stupid about it? Because that's what it really comes down to. Yeah,
2: And I'm penalizing him like I will A-Rod and Ryan Braun for being stupid. If you got suspended when there was a rule in place and you were definitively cheating, then I have a right to keep you out. And so that's where I am with Manny. And by the way, he was taking like some... Pregnancy diuretic or something. <laughs> it was to, to cleanse the system. But yeah, Manny cheated.
3: I thought a lot about A-Rod when I was looking at the case for Manny because mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult with Alex Rodriguez because of everything that happened, beca- yep. because of the, the scandal and the way that it all went down. It was, it was very messy. However, if I look at him as a baseball player, he's certainly a Hall of Famer.
2: No doubt. Yeah. And, and- it's
3: hard to distinguish all of these factors. I feel... I feel for the writers because it is a very difficult web to untangle, to determine, in some of these cases, Manny Ramirez being one of them, what is real, what is not, and what you want to penalize someone for.
2: That's why, for me, it's pretty simple. If you got suspended when it was against the rules, then you don't get in. But if you didn't get suspended when it wasn't against the rules, you're okay. Uh, Kurt Schilling. Okay.
3: (laughs) This is tough. Well, we skipped one, a pretty big one. Oh
2: yeah, Scott Rowland.
3: He's a yes for me. Yeah,
2: Scott Rowland's one of the best ten third basemen ever to play the game, and should go in. Should go in tonight. At some point, he will. I think people are taking a closer look at his numbers. But man, if if he's an easy first ballot, if he doesn't run into Hesop Choi at first base and get hurt here, but he was spectacular defensively, tied for first ever. And a great power-hitting third baseman, one of the best ever. So, yeah, Roland is a yes for you and I. Okay, Curt Schilling. Uh, I I talked about the reasons that I would vote for him over Hudson and Burley. And the big thing is, is he was just so transcendent. And it's more than just the bloody sock game, Michelle. It's the... Uh, the body of work, a couple of teams, three teams that he was in the World Series with, and his overall postseason record is actually pretty amazing. 11-2, and best winning percentage ever in the postseason, with a 2.23 earned run average, pitched 133 in the third innings in the postseason, and he struck out 120, and obviously co-MVP in 2001, one with the Red Sox, one with the Phillies. So uh, I've got him in there.
3: I checked yes as well. And I know that that's going to be a difficult vote for a lot of the writers because of things that happened off the field. But that's, again, where it gets really murky because this is about what they have done as a player, not about who they are as a person. And while some of the things Kurt Schilling has done and said Mm -hmm. have been absolutely deplorable and I could not agree with them any, any less, I feel as if you have to look at strictly the body of work.
2: Okay, we're going to come back to this at 8, but a quick lightning round here. Nick Swisher? No. No. Shane Victorino? No. Uh, by the way, I had uh, uh, I missed a couple. I have Sheffield and Sosa. I, I marked both of those boxes. What about you? I did not. Okay. Uh, Omar Vizquel? No. He was the Ozzie Smith of the American League, so I'm going with Omar. I've got Billy Wagner as a yes. I did not. And Barry Zito as a no. So we'll come back to this at 8 o'clock. But... Coming up, we're going to visit with the new defensive coordinator at the University of Missouri, Steve Wilkes, now a member of Eli Drinkwit's staff. He will join us coming up next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right
1: back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Shell Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and we're happy to be joined by the new defensive coordinator at the University of Missouri. Steve Wilkes was introduced in a virtual press conference yesterday. Coach, it is great to have you with us here in St. Louis and in the state of Missouri. How are you doing? I'm doing
7: well this morning. I hope you guys are.
2: We are. Thanks for checking in. Hey, I want to start with this because you're a grad of Appalachian State. You you played there. So how aware of Eli Drinkwitz were you?
7: Uh, very aware. Uh, just being an alum there, I stayed heavily involved uh, with the program, particularly being there um, in the Charlotte Panthers for years. So uh, when Eli got the job, uh, I reached out to him, uh, welcomed him to the family, and we just started building our relationship from there.
3: Steve, what was the most practi- attractive part of this Mizzou program for you?
7: Uh, I think it started with Coach Drink. Uh, just his core values uh, was aligned with mine, um, and, I, and I felt like what he was putting in place for was the culture here and the people that he had on staff who many that I know Um, And just the the season that they had last year, you know, with everything that was going on uh, with COVID and and all the obstacles, uh, you can see that he definitely came in and had an impact early on. So, um, you know, it's with me, it's always just really trying to surround myself with positive people, uh, a good program, good organization that I feel like is on the incline. And that's why I came here.
2: Steve, how much did being able just to settle down for a couple of years play into this? You spent five years with the Panthers, but then 17 uh, with the Panthers, six years with the Panthers, but then Arizona for a year, Cleveland for a year, out of football in 2020. What about the ability just to settle down at a place for a while?
7: Uh, It's great, and that's one of the things that I was looking for. Really, you know, with me and my family, uh, I took 20 off just to really to reflect, recharge, and to uh, spend time with them, but also just figure out exactly where I want this next journey to go. And uh, that was really one of the main things that uh, that I was looking for, just some stability, um, again, with a good head coach, uh, a good organizational program. And I'm, I'm ecstatic, man, just to, to be a part of this Mizzou family.
3: Steve, you've been at the pro level for quite some time. What do you think is going to be a difficulty for you, if any, in making that transi- transition back to collegiate football?
7: Well, uh, everything with me is thoughts relate- with uh, relationships and uh, any facet of life, and I've always been able to build those relationships with players and coaches alike. So. Uh, I don't think there's going to be an issue there. Uh, Many have talked to me, you know, with the process. like, man, is this what you really want to do? And without a doubt, uh, it is. You know, recruiting is not an issue to me. Uh, I like the mere fact of of the challenge of competing, uh, going into these high schools, into these homes, and trying to get the best players in the country to come to Mizzou. So I'm excited. Uh, I haven't coached a position and as you're talking about head coach, coordinator and sitting out in twenty in like three years. So uh these guys are for a rude awakening. <laughs> Steve Wilkes, the
2: defensive coordinator at the University of Missouri with Michelle and Randy on one on one ESPN. Uh Steve you you spent three years with Lovey and we had the pleasure of spending three years with Lovey here when he was the defensive coordinator of the St. Louis Rams. And I it always struck me when Whenever Lovey would be asked, hey, what's your goal on defense? He said, our, our goal at the start of every play on defense is to score, which I thought was so unusual, but also so cool. How much of your defense is taken from what Lovey has what, philosophically?
7: Well, I can sum it up in this right here. If you were to see my license plate tag uh, in North Carolina, it says score on D. Uh, <laughs> That that has always been uh, my mantra and mindset uh, with the foundation that I got from Lovey is that fundamentals and technique is always going to overplay the scheme. You know, uh, we're going to make sure we put our guys in great position to be successful, but most important, right here, we have a mindset of ball disruption, taking the ball away on defense and scoring. So, when you look at my history with Lovey, San Diego, particularly in Carolina, um, you know, that's what we've been known for, and that's one of the Uh, things I look to bring here to Mizzou. Aside
2: from Lovey, who are your big influences in coaching defense?
7: Uh, Well, you know, definitely Lovey, Ron Rivera are the top two. Um, When you look at the success that I've had with those two guys, you know, Ron and I had the number one defense uh, when we were with the San Diego Chargers, and we always had a top defense in Carolina. So uh, those guys are definitely at the top for us being uh, influential in my career.
3: Steve, you mentioned earlier what attracted you to this Mizzou position, and you talked about Coach Drinkwitz's personality. It's been a small sample size, but what's it been like to work with him? Because any time that Randy and I have talked to him, he brings a certain energy to any situation that he's in.
7: Uh, he does, and um, I said this yesterday, and. Uh, I learned this years ago from Tyrone Willingham. You know, the speed of the pack is determined by the speed of the leader. And uh, he has a lot of energy. You know, he leads by example. Uh, you know, I always would like to surround myself with those kind of individuals because that's, that's who I am, you know, and iron sharpens the iron. So, um, you know, we've had great conversations, even when he came to pick me up on Sunday, just coming back on the plane, just talking about a lot of things of – how we can improve uh you know just just scheduling you know and, and trying to get the most out of these players so uh it's exciting the
2: last time you coached in college football was back in 2005 what's the biggest difference between what you see now as you're getting getting back into it and what you experienced back in the, the mid aughts
7: uh i just think it's just the uh, social media you know that's the difference uh i think when you get on the field when you start talking about and O's and those kind of things is pretty much uh, the same but just the uh, the mass flux of social media and what these players are on and what they look at these high school uh, players etc so um, you know I'm in the process right now really getting uh, my Twitter account uh, <laughs> everything right there so uh, that's the exciting part about it you know and you know just a side part too just when, when I was looking at this job and people don't don't really look at it from a standpoint of the big picture. And, uh, yes, I'm excited about drink. And as a defensive coach, uh, I'm looking at the players. But not only on the defensive side of the ball, uh, I look at the offense. And I don't care what level that you're on. If you don't have a quarterback, uh, you don't have a chance to win. And that was another thing that intrigued me because – big-picture-wise, you know, I'm very intrigued with Connor and and what he has been able to do in a short period of time on that side of the ball. So uh, all that had a factor in my decision.
2: Okay, Coach, two more quick things. Number one, you come into the SEC, which is a different animal than the rest of college football. What's uh, what's your impression uh, having watched the SEC for so many years of the
7: conference? Well, I mean, it's the best conference in, in college football, as you mentioned. When you look at the mass flux of players, uh, coming into the national football league. I mean, a lot of them come out of this conference, you know, so are you going against the best each and every week? And, uh, again, I love the challenge and we're going to make sure that our guys are prepared and ready to go.
2: And finally, you're talking to a lot of 16, 17 year old football players that are driving to school. You're talking to a lot of dads who have young football players that are considering going to college and, uh, joining a football program. What is it about Mizzou that a young kid in St. Louis, a young football player in St. Louis should
7: know? Well, I, I would say when you really evaluate uh, the, the colleges, when you look at the culture and the things that are uh, being in place, um, and to me it's all about act of a championship organization and the things that Drink is putting in place, the accountability, uh, the great level of commitment and the trust throughout this uh, organization and this program I think is phenomenal and those are the things that we're going to sell. Um, the facilities are great and then you're talking about guys that um have been to the uh highest level myself um jeffro is coming on as a d-line coach and i know a lot of these young men have aspirations and goals of trying to get there so uh it's nothing like having someone with experience that's been there before to give you the roadmap
2: coach great to have you with us thanks so much for the time we appreciate it good luck and i'm sure that we'll be speaking again
7: Thank you, guys, and uh, have a great day. Take care now.
2: You too. Coach Steve Wilkes joining us on 101 ESPN. He's the new defensive coordinator at the University of Missouri under Eli Drinkwitz.
3: Can't wait to see what he's able to install at Mizzou, but on the surface, just... A small sample size again seems like a great hire,
2: and I I like that license plate. S- I do too. Score on D.
3: I also feel badly for some of those players, as Coach said they're going to be in for a rude awakening now that he's back oh, coaching a possession.
2: One thing about <laughs> Lovey, and and obviously he's taken a lot of what he does from Lovey Smith. Those players are going to be well conditioned. Yes, it's when Aeneas came here, and Aeneas was perfect for the Lovey Smith defense. He would pick up a fumble or intercept a pass in practice at the 10-yard line in practice and run all 90 yards into the end zone. Wow. And if he dropped an interception in practice, he was down doing push-ups.
5: That's
3: impressive.
2: Yeah. And he was already an All-Pro. He would have been a Hall of Famer already. I'm, so. I'm
3: thinking I wish that would have translated at Illinois. but.
2: Yeah, no, nah, not quite. You know. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the
1: character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: All right, get your text into the air. Comfort service text line 65780. Michelle and Randy with you. And uh, we have take it or leave it. And again, 65780. Michelle, last night, LeBron James goes back to Cleveland. And at the end of the third quarter, Cleveland up by one. LeBron James takes a shot that bounces twice on the rim and out. Jason Hillman, the Cavs, basketball chief of staff was sitting with the rest of the Cavs staff on the baseline and clapped pretty vigorously when LeBron hits the miss LeBron goes on to, on to outscore Cleveland the whole Cleveland team <laughs> in the fourth quarter 22 to 21 take it or leave it you never clap if you're the opposition when LeBron misses a shot
3: I'm gonna have to take it based on what you just outlined But how incredible that he can just get that angry and turn it on like that. That he could just summon that inside him and say, I'm going to dominate this entire team because I'm mad about someone I know clapping.
2: So Cleveland at the end of the quarter, up 88-87. LeBron said, I felt like he was just a little bit too excited about seeing me miss. He said he was really excited about me missing that shot. A little bit more extra than I would have liked. But he's got to root for his team, obviously, and he was. He showcased that. So I knew I had another quarter that in the fourth quarter is my favorite. He outscored the Cavs, as we mentioned. It was 22, 21-19 in the fourth, and uh, the Lakers wind up winning the game, 115-108 to 108. on LeBron's back at the age of, and he scores 46, and he's the oldest Laker ever at 37 and 46 days to, to score 40 in a game.
3: Ridiculous. Yesterday, we talked a lot about Tom Brady getting to the Super Bowl at age 43 and what an accomplishment it was. Mm-hmm. And we were comparing it to other great things that an individual has been able to do in sports. We didn't even mention LeBron beating, defeating the Warriors and bringing a title home to Cleveland. We didn't mention LeBron leaving, leaving uh, and getting to LA and leading the Lakers to a championship in the bubble. He certainly got some some talking points in that conversation. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, Randy, I saw this list floating around on Twitter yesterday, and I want to present it to you. So since 2017, the Pirates have tr- traded away these names. Garrett Cole, Tyler Glassnow, Austin Meadows, Josh Bell, Jamison Tyone, jo- Joe Musgrove, Starling Marte, Andrew McCutcheon, Corey Dickerson, and Francisco Liriano. Take it or leave it. After hearing that collection of names, you don't feel so bad about what the Cardinals have been (laughs) for the past three years.
5: I will
2: 100% take that. And here's another thing. Even after trading those 10 players, the Pirates' future is not great. Exactly. They don't really have much to show for those guys either.
3: Exactly. I saw that yesterday yesterday. And I tried to put myself in the position of a Pittsburgh Pirates fan and look at that collection of talent that had been traded off and the state of the team right now and how angry I would be as a fan to think that you have traded away pieces like Garrett Cole and in 2021, you're still not a contending team.
2: And I, you say that you'd be angry, but would you care anymore? I think that's the question that they have to deal with is yeah, how apathetic point. is the fan base to not do they not. Get mad, not get mad. They don't even care. I wonder,
3: especially in a town like that, when you have the Steelers to run things yep. in a lot of ways. And the Penguins and are the always P- a
2: Stanley Cup contender. I was going to
3: say, and the Penguins are there, too. So that's a, that's a really good point. But we do get in our feelings and in our emotions about the Cardinals, and rightfully so. The standards are different here in St. Louis. That is an understood component of this however I do think when you compare it to what other franchises Mm -hmm. have been doing during the same time span it puts a lot of things in perspective and I'm not making excuses for them because they could still improve upon a lot of things but at least you're not in the position of a Pittsburgh Pirates where you have nothing to show for trading away these pieces well
2: and the interesting comp is that in Pittsburgh their Cardinals are the Steelers who don't go out and spend big money in free agency. They build through the draft. They develop. They expect them to go to the Super Bowl every year, and they haven't been back to the Super Bowl since 2010. For the Cardinals, it's 2011. So they're probably feeling about the Steelers the way we feel. I'll bet you they went into the playoffs in Pittsburgh, even after they started 11-0 and said, ah, we really, okay, we're in the playoffs, but we aren't that great. I'll bet the, the feeling in Pittsburgh about the Steelers is similar to the feeling here in St. Louis about the Cardinals.
3: What year was it? Was it 2013 that Michael Walker had that performance versus the Pirates in the postseason? Yeah. 2013.
2: Yeah. Or maybe no, 14. Was it Four, 14? 13 was his rookie or 14. So was-
3: 14. Okay. Yeah. But but think about that. that. That was the last time you really felt like they had a great yeah. chance. What a shame. Right? That's yeah. probably the last
0: time you felt that way about the Pirates.
2: Right. All right, Emily, what do you got for us on the text line?
0: All right. We'll go off of that. From the 618, take it or leave it, the team who beats the Pirates the most wins the NL Central.
2: I I think that that is a pretty safe bet because I do think that the Cardinals, the Cubs, Milwaukee, and Cincinnati are all very similar and might have the same record against each other. Could be a push. So, yeah, it could be the team that beats up on, on the Pirates, yeah. And we don't know what the schedule is going to be.
0: That's true. Okay, from the... Six three six. Take it or leave it. Petro will score a goal against the Blues this season. Yeah, I'll take that. The season definitely. Take yeah, maybe it. even tonight. Maybe
3: even tonight. I yeah. would not be surprised in the least bit if Petro scores a goal tonight. Which
2: game does Ville huso play against them? Who is that? Unfair. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: <not. laughs> small sample size. He needs the guys in front of him to play better. <laughs> not making excuses for him, but I'm I'm withholding a full judgment on him until. Okay some some other factors are at play. Proud of you. Thank you. I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> Come on.
0: From the 636, take it or leave it, Lovey Smith's next coaching job is with the XFL. Ooh,
2: interesting. I wonder if Lovey might retire. But yeah, I think that's a good
4: bet.
3: With the XFL? Yeah. No, I could see him going back to the NFL in some capacity before that. I would love to see him go to the XFL. I would love to see him... I would love to see any great coach go to the XFL because I want the XFL to be as viable as a league as possible when The Rock reboots it and brings it back to St. Louis and our Battle Hawks are back in place. I want the XFL to be rolling. But I I can't imagine that Lovey Smith would want what happened at Illinois to be the last thing that he does in his
2: career. Thing is about Lovey in regards to defense, and he's going to turn 63 in May. What he did here in the 2000s, what he did when he went to the Super Bowl with the Bears in 2006, it doesn't work in the NFL anymore. You need to play more, man. You just can't play cover two all the time and expect it to work. So he's going to have to adapt and come up with some different and probably more complicated schemes. For example, if he were with the Bears now, probably one of the reasons he got fired by the Bears is because a guy like Aaron Rodgers would just eat him alive, Mm -hmm. finding the, the open spots in his own defense.
3: The thing about Lovey, he's a really good coach. And if you look at the entire body of work at Illinois, he left that program in a better spot Mm -hmm. than he found it. Was it the level of success that the school wanted and the fans wanted and that he personally wanted? Of course not. But that's a really difficult job. We've talked to a lot of people about why Illinois as a football program can't get over that plateau it's it's a really difficult program to get up and running I'm hope I'm hoping that eventually it gets to that place but it's he was in a tough spot there and he left it better than he found it and that's what I'll say about that and
2: the thing about Illinois and I'm sure you feel this way as an alum there have been multiple coaches that I've thought okay this is the guy I thought Todd Beckman was the guy I thought Lovey was the guy um I think Bielma is the guy. I, I think there have been a lot of coaches. Run Zook. Yeah. Where you think, okay, th- that's the answer, but they still haven't had the answer.
3: Zucker had him going a he little did. bit. Um,
2: was Zook the Rose
3: Bowl coach? Yes, or, okay. Yes, he was it. I believe so. Yeah,
2: oh, oh, that was and not oh,
3: Turner. Turner. 08. Yeah. 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 Zook was 08. That was the year that John David yeah. Booty, I believe it was, absolutely torched them in the Rose Bowl. Good times. Yeah. Good times. <laughs>
0: okay. Take it or leave it from the 636. Brad Underwood's coaching seat is getting warm. No, I'm going to leave that. <laughs>
3: no, absolutely not. Do you think it is?
2: No, they're going to be in the tournament I this was going to say, they're
3: going to be in the tournament. It's a pandemic season. Reading a lot about college basketball lately, and I, I'm reading things, especially as it pertains to Illinois, about practices and how difficult it's been to maintain a certain level of intensity. And I keep thinking about what it would be like to be a collegiate basketball player right now. And you've had a lot of disruptions because of COVID and you're in school and there's all of these things that are working against you. And it, it has to be incredibly challenging for a coach to make sure that these players are first and foremost safe and healthy and also still engaged because you don't have the same level of camaraderie that you did. I'm sure that the players are connected but the flow in which you hang out and the flow in which you practice all of these things aren't the same as they used Mm -hmm. to be so you're trying to manufacture energy and connection in a lot of ways
2: and here's how weird this season is michelle look at the top 25 and try to find kentucky or duke and neither of them are there it's unbelievable how weird this season is. And that's all really, we really need to know, right? Is and, and by the way, KU is 15th. Mizzou is 12th. KU is 15th. They're 10 and 5. This is just a weird year in college basketball. And I don't think that anybody should be judged on the the, the merits. There are no merits to this year, so they shouldn't be judged on them.
0: Yeah, he's still a top 25 team, coaching top 25 right. teams. So I yeah. don't think I see that. Okay, take it or leave it. The Blues get the offense going early tonight against Vegas and Falk gets a finally gets a chance on the power play. Ooh,
2: uh, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave both. I don't think that that's a team that you get the offense going against.
3: I might take it because what has been the trend? That the Blues win the first game, they lose the second game. And I can't imagine that they haven't been talking about energy and about intensity and about starting fast and hot and finishing that way. And they have another layer in this thing with with them facing Petro for the first time. I would not be surprised if you see a fast start and a, a... a pretty high level of intensity from both teams. Hopefully, the Blues could take advantage of it first.
2: Hope so. The Blues have allowed the most goals in their division, 23. The Golden Knights have allowed the least goals in that division, a dozen. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next up, we want to know who you'd in Baseball's Hall of Fame for 2021. If anybody, you can use the mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app, or you can send us a text 65780. Baseball Hall of Fame will be announced tonight, and we want to know who you'd pick next on 101 ESPN.
1: We are right back to the Carragher and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 8.04,
2: 8.04, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Randy and Michelle with you, and baseball will announce its Hall of Fame situation tonight. I think it was Tim Kirkton last week who said he thinks there's a possibility there may be no Hall of Famers for the 2021 class. If I were in charge and I just got to unilaterally put people in, I would have... Uh, pretty substantial class because people like Bonds and Clemens have been waiting for a while. Scott Rowland would go in. Michelle and I are on the same page there. We differ on some. I wanted to hit on a couple. Number one, Omar Vizquel. And I mentioned he was kind of like the Billy Wagner or the Billy Wagner, the Ozzie Smith of the American League for a long time. 11-time Gold Glove winner. Just a fantastic defender and he he elevated the position kind of like Ozzie did. And then Billy Wagner is in my opinion, the best left-handed closer of all time and one of the top three or four relievers of all time. And there's no real good excuse for Billy Wagner to not be in already. So we want your tech, 65780. We ran down the list. Mark Burley certainly is a borderline guy. Uh, You look at a a Tim Hudson, you look at a uh, uh, Andy Pettit, borderline guys. And for a lot of people, and obviously if, Tim Kirshen doesn't think that he'll get in automatically. Kurt Schilling, a borderline guy, too.
3: This one from the 217, Randy. You guys are going to punish, and air quotes, Todd Helton for being drafted and playing his career in course Field. High altitude or not, they're a Major League Baseball team and they play by the same rules he should be in if the only reason you vote no is where he plays.
2: Well, it's not, that's not the only reason. And, and I think we both admitted that it's kind of unfair that that's what we're doing. But the fact of the matter is, he was a much better hitter at home than he was on the road. And I think it's fair to wonder whether or not he would have been, if he plays in St. Louis or if he plays with the White Sox, would he have been the same hitter that he was when he played his home games at Coors Field, his career batting average at home, 345. His career OPS at home, 1.048. His career batting average on the road, 287. His career OPS on the road, 855. So he's 200 points lower in OPS. And his batting average, well, let's see, 97, 60 points lower, 58 points lower. Hit 142 home runs on the road in 1,052 career starts, 1,084, so virtually the same number of starts at home, 227 homers at home, 142 on the road. So it's not just that he played at Coors Field because Larry Walker, I think, is deservedly in the Hall of Fame, but his road numbers away from Coors Field were Hall of Fame worthy. And I just don't think Heltons are.
3: This is an interesting text from the 314, Randy. It says, honest question. By electing controversial people, do you not feel you're contributing to a societal problem of not holding people accountable to what is right and or wrong because sports should be separate?
2: I think that's a an interesting and a great and legit philosophical question. And we just can't you're, our texture is 100% right. We can't separate sports and the real world anymore. And clearly, a guy like Kurt Schilling is a polarizing many would say divisive guy and he does have to make a speech at the Hall of Fame. Doesn't have to, but will. Mm-hmm. And I would think that the concern of many, especially those with Major League Baseball in the Hall of Fame would be that he would make a polarizing and divisive speech. So, yes, I think that being a political probably benefits a baseball player and having some outspoken views like Kurt Schilling does probably hurts him. And in regards to the question, yeah. You don't want our society to to be polarized any more than it already is. Could a Hall of Fame speech by Schilling cause problems? And go back to Michael Jordan's comment. Well, Republicans buy sneakers, too. If you're baseball, why would you want to, with the feelings of one Hall of Famer, potentially drive away a group of people?
3: It's difficult for me because while I certainly do not condone the things that Curt Schilling has done or said, or agree with him on really anything my moral compass and my barometer of what i'm willing to stand for and not as likely different than yours randy as is each writer who's voting on this and i think it's a very slippery slope when the goal post keeps moving is someone is what kurt schilling did off the field too much to not get him in the Hall of Fame? Well, what about this player? Or that you're going to have allowances for some players based on off-field activity that you aren't going to give For some, and that's where I think it gets really, really tricky because it's already difficult enough to try to discern from the numbers alone. If a player is a Hall of Famer or not, let alone taking in all of the things that these players have done, not to mention some of the guys that are in there and that will get in there aren't angels themselves. No,
2: that's true. And by the way, there are a lot of people with, that agree with Curt Schilling. And yeah, you can look all the way back to Ty Cobb and some of the other people that are in the Hall of Fame. And they, they had sketchy backgrounds away from the field. I think for baseball, it's probably if you ask Rob Manfred in a private moment, it'd be more about revenue than anything else do you do you want to take that chance of driving potential merchandise and ticket buyers and viewers away because of something that's said by one of your people
3: but that's also unfair too it is i I don't i don't like that answer either
2: no because what if he was clear what if what if there were no questions and he had the same numbers as roger clemens where do we draw the line here
3: that's a great point i don't know and Like I said earlier, a lot of the people that are already in and that will get in in the future, things are going to come out about them. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is squeaky clean. And who am I, if I'm a voter, to say your viewpoint and what you have said is something that's going to be held against you. But what this player has done that might not have seen the light of the public, but that I know that he's done in the darkness while he was playing or potentially now but because it's not public and it's and it's something that i personally am willing to absolve then we'll go ahead and vote him in. i don't think that that the morality barometer should be brought into this at all even though i don't agree with him at all
2: it it shouldn't but the luxury that the people that are voting have right now is they can always say "Eh, i think he's borderline i didn't think he was good enough Uh, ultimately though with as vocal and as polarized as our society is, there's going to be that player Mm -hmm. at one end of the spectrum who is a clear Hall of Famer that's going to pose problems for the people that are voting.
3: What about this one? From 314, hit us up on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. So you guys want to let Bonds and Clemens in because they were better cheaters than Manny and A-Rod? That seems a little hypocritical.
2: I, I wouldn't say they were better cheaters. I would say that What it comes down to is A-Rod got caught when baseball, after 2004, when baseball had enacted rules to prohibit the use of performance-enhancing drugs and allow baseball to suspend players for the use of performance-enhancing drugs. Both Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez got suspended once those rules were in place. Bonds and Clemens never did. As far as baseball is concerned, those two never, clearly, neither were suspended. But even though they've been kept out of the Hall of Fame by the writers, according to the baseball rules, they never cheated because there were no rules prohibiting what they were allegedly doing. And they never, they didn't have testing and... It hasn't, uh, uh, since they started testing, it hasn't been proven that they were using and they they didn't get suspended. So uh, uh, actually, I'm going by rules and no rules rather than having a different set of rules for both.
3: Yeah. You're looking at rules that were actually in place. David Ortiz is going to be an interesting case.
2: I think he's easy. You think he's in? Yeah. And he was on that list. There were like 103 players that were alleged to have tested positive in 2003 when the rules came into play. And Manny was on that list and Sammy was on that list. But I think that Big Poppy, number one, again, was never suspended. And I think for whatever reason, there's so little uh, suspicion of him that I think he goes in easily.
3: Which I'm surprised. Me too. Because having his name on the list, seeing what he's done... He was just so adored by so many people that his that's why I think his case is interesting, because had it been another player who wasn't as beloved as Big Papi was, I think there would have been a bigger microscope on his name being on that list and people digging into it. Sammy Sosa. Yes, that's a great point.
2: Sammy Sosa's numbers were, were great, but he was not and is not a beloved figure. They were both on the same list in 2003. Neither were ever suspended. But Sammy's not getting in and he had 609 home runs so yeah the writers they have a tough time figuring this out it's difficult
3: one more for you randy from okay. the 636 players get suspended for ped use isn't that the punishment for the crime or is it that major league baseball's punishment but the hall oh, excuse me or is that major league baseball's punishment the suspension after they get busted but the hall is the writer's punishment
2: yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. And uh, you, you may not have heard earlier, my punishment would not necessarily be for the use of PEDs. It would be for their stupidity in <laughs> using PEDs and getting suspended when the rule is in place. But that being said, again, you have to draw a line because I don't have any problem with Sammy Sosa taking advantage of what was available to him to make himself a better player. But he did break the rules by using a corked bat. So do I not vote for him because of that? Where do I draw the line? It's a, it's a difficult thing. I'm glad that I don't have to vote and make my vote public because people would hate me. And I'm, b- by the way, Michelle and I will both run down our lists here for tonight. I voted for Bonds, for Clemens, same, for, same. for Kent, no, uh, for Roland, for Sheffield, for Sosa, Vizquel, and Wagner. And you had somebody that I didn't, right?
3: Uh, Andy Pettit.
2: Yeah, and I did not have Pettit. And
3: I was leaning Helton and Burley, but ultimately did not. But I think they're going to get, hopefully, a groundswell of support and eventually get in
2: mark burley is one of the most underrated pitchers of all time
3: i know i really wanted to vote for him actually i'm actually regretting that i didn't
2: yeah well you, you still can you have until tonight <laughs>
3: okay i have until the nine Did o'clock segment
2: <laughs> yep coming up a little game of what's better on 101 espn
1: we are right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn <laughs>
2: air comfort service text line is 65780 and you heard the guy with the deep voice say what's better but we all know it's what's better
3: what's better
2: so uh, if you want to get your text in and ask Michelle and I what's better feel free to do so we'd love to hear from you and Emily has your texts for us at 65780 Emily what do we got
0: alright first one what's better from the 314 an acoustic song or an acapella
2: Ooh, this is good. Okay, I really like acoustic songs. There's an acoustic station on uh, Sirius XM. Coffeehouse is what it's called.
3: So, acoustic is just the instrument and the voice, right? Right. And acapella, acapella is, is no instrument. Several voices, right? Yeah, okay. Right. Just making sure. One and I thing,
2: think if if I'm listening for the long term, I th- like if I'm listening. In my car. I would much rather hear multiple songs acoustic. But I will say this. Uh, hot take, Michelle. Oh, I'm ready. Best Super Bowl national anthem ever was the Dixie Chicks before Tampa Bay played Oakland. Acapella. Uh,
3: what? Yeah, Whitney better, Houston better, on line one. Better, I'm sorry. Better than Whitney Houston. No, you're out yeah. of your mind. No, it's Whitney Houston. Singing the national anthem. It was spectacular. It I made, was there. It, I, it made grown there. men weep, Randy. Yeah, it,
2: it was sensational, but theirs was better. Sorry, mm. it's the best ever for any Super Bowl. I better c- than up with people.
3: <laughs> this is the most outrageous hot take you have ever had.
2: It's better. Sorry.
3: 6 please back me up on now this they're one
2: the chicks. And I'm not disparaging the Whitney Houston it, it was great, it was different, it was spectacular And the times, because we had just started Desert Storm It was huge, I, I remember the four black helicopters At each corner of the stadium mm-hmm. in Tampa It was unbelievable, and all the people waving their flags It did make people cry, and in large part because We were at war for the first time in a long time But, in terms of just the music The Dixie Chicks, and now the Chicks, was better
3: in terms of just, Whitney Houston has some of the greatest hits of all time. I yeah. Will Always Love You, even though it was an original Dolly Parton vehicle. She took that song to new heights. I Want to Dance with Somebody. I mean, we could great go voice. we could yeah. go on and on and on. And her single greatest vocal performance might have been the national anthem at that Super Bowl. It was great. I just don't even think that the Dixie Chicks can sniff Whitney Houston. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. They, They're not even in the same conversation.
2: Except for the best national anthem ever before a Super Bowl,
3: <laughs> no way. And I mean, I think that Whitney's jumpsuit, her wardrobe choice, should also be given a nod. Incredible.
2: Oh, so we're going to in- include that. I'm just so, saying. Oh, then I'll the go with thing, Lady Gaga.
3: The whole thing iconic. The whole thing iconic. I can still see her her arms as she raises them up. It's in my mind's eye. Here's the eye. thing,
2: though, Michelle. It's not as big a deal if we aren't at war.
3: Oh, so, so we're not... This is like the Hall of Fame. We're not talking about the just the performance. We're going to talk about off-field things, too. The circumstances of the, the world. The circumstances
2: may, are part of what made that. Absolutely. There's no doubt. No. Uh, what other Super Bowl have you seen a million people with giant flags waving in the stands?
3: Well, the NFL provided those for those fans. It's not like every because, single one.
2: Because the United States was at war.
3: I'm just saying, the NFL provided it for a visual for their broadcast. It's not as if all of those people said, you know what I'm going to do because we're at war and because the Dixie Chicks are going to blow my socks off is pack this mini flag with me as I head to no, the they were, game. No, they were
2: many people brought in big, and they were. You, outside the stadium, there were people that had, they, they don't, they give away seat cushions and they give away like a box lunch when you walk into a Super Bowl. That was like, let's see. Nineteen ninety. So the first one I ever went to was the 85 Super Bowl. So that was the 20, 21, 22, 24, 25. So that was like my sixth Super Bowl that I'd ever been to. And uh, it, it was really scary, number one, because we thought there was going to be a terrorist attack. But the the unification of the country, the patriotism at that point was unlike anything I had seen to that point in my life.
3: I'm tweeting out a poll because we need to settle this. Okay. This is the question: Show debate, better national anthem at the Super Bowl. Choice one: Whitney Houston. Choice two: Dixie Chicks. Fair.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's fair.
3: All right, tweeting it at M. Smallman. Let your voice be heard.
2: All right, Emily, what do you what, what else do we have?
3: Is it bad that I don't remember either of those? You don't remember the Whitney national anthem?
2: Come on.
3: Okay, Emily. What Dur- year? During what year the was break, that? we need to have you watch that. That. What, what year was that? Standby.
2: Was the 90 season 91?
3: I wasn't alive. Okay. Well, that's just a flex. Sorry. And that's no excuse. Sorry. <laughs> okay. What's better? 91. Yeah. 1990 season 91. Sorry. January Sorry. 91. What's better?
0: Opening day of football season where you have the whole season to look forward to or Super Bowl Sunday? Super Bowl
3: Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. You. Have everything working for you on Super Bowl The only thing that can make Super Bowl Sunday better is if you had Monday off of work. We would never get it off, but I think America deserves that. I agree. You're overindulging in a lot of aspects. You're sedentary. You're watching the big game. You're watching the national anthem. The, the, you're watching the halftime show, all of the commercials. It's a full day of chicken wings and nachos and beer. It's great.
2: Super Bowl Sunday is the day... Second biggest food consumption day in America after Thanksgiving. Wow. Yeah.
3: That doesn't surprise me though.
2: No, it's but you'd think that Christmas or New Year's or something, but no, it's 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 a holiday. So yeah, it's way bigger than football opening day.
0: Okay. What's better, St. Louis winning the lawsuit against the NFL, or that. another? <laughs> I, I figured. I figured you'd like this one. Or End it. another Blue Stanley Cup lawsuit.
3: I'm selfish, and the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, that run was the most magical thing I've ever experienced. And them winning another cup will be incredible. And it it likely will happen at some point, Randy. The floodgates have been opened. Now that we've gotten over the hump, I would imagine that they'll get another one. But nothing is ever going to top your first time, that first time. Whereas that lawsuit, to have St. That would be as big of a victory.
2: That lawsuit is not only going to be great for St. Louis, it's going to change the league. Somebody is going to get punished for what they have done to our community. That's right. It's going to be epic.
3: It's a battle of good versus evil and right versus wrong.
2: Yeah. And good is going to win out.
3: I hope so, because bad guys win a lot. And I hope in this case, bad guys have to face the consequences of their actions.
2: So, by the way, um, speaking of our city, So a magazine came out. I got this email this morning. and I I don't know what what it is. It's an online thing called Lawn Starter. And they list the 50 most glamorous cities in America. Okay. And that's fine. Go ahead and and list the 50 most glamorous cities in America. And as you might guess, Miami, New York, San Francisco, Vegas, Atlanta. Right. And they've got Detroit. They've got Milwaukee. St. Louis isn't even in the top 50. Should it be? I don't know, but if Detroit and Milwaukee are, shouldn't St. Louis, right?
3: Yeah, if Detroit's on there, St. Louis definitely deserves Detroit. Detroit's a nod.
2: twenty-five, Kansas City's twenty-seven. And uh
3: Detroit's twenty-five?
2: I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Okay,
3: what's the bottom half of that list? Look okay, like? the
2: very bottom of the the list. Is okay. The bottom of the top fifty: Corpus Christi, Texas, fifty; El Paso, forty-nine. Oh come on! Bakersfield, forty-eight. Bakersfield. Wichita, forty-seven. This is
3: just blatant disrespect. Yeah,
2: forty-six is Fresno. Forty-five is Colorado Springs. Mm,
3: well,
2: uh right. Jacksonville, forty-three. Okay. Memphis, forty-two.
3: This is a personal attack.
2: Yeah. And Jacksonville.
3: S- this S- is a personal attack. Louisville, thirty-eight.
2: Mm. S- and St. Louis is Tulsa, thirty-six.
3: Tulsa? I've been there.
2: Yeah, I have That's too. That's the end of that story. I have a I've massive been massive McDonald's. I've
3: been there. That's the end of that story.
2: Yeah. Milwaukee was 31.
3: I mean you know, Milwaukee's a good time. I'm not going to lie.
2: It is. But I, I mean, had still had a great time uh, in Milwaukee. If Milwaukee's 31, St. Louis has to be in the top 50, doesn't it? Absolutely.
3: I'm very pro Wisconsin, but there's a lot of comps between Milwaukee and St. Louis. Yep.
2: And as I'm going through the list, I'm saying, "Okay, I'm 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 cool with this." Like You know honolulu tampa dc boston seattle minneapolis cool with all of them chicago portland denver Uh, but then you you keep going through and you see detroit and then you see milwaukee and you see louisville and you see uh tulsa and you see Charlotte well charlotte charlotte shouldn't be 37 charlotte's above that
3: never been past the airport and that airport is a nightmare
2: yeah it is so it's just weird uh by the way let me check here okay atlanta's number five does it
3: say what the criteria are to be on the list.
2: Uh, Okay, criteria. Here we go. Because maybe
3: we're getting worked up for nothing. Maybe Um, we don't fit the criteria.
2: Dining and drinking rank.
3: Okay, come on. St. Louis is an unbelievable culinary city. Some incredible James Beard award-winning chefs here in St. Louis. I've been to a lot of great cities in America, and I would put our restaurants right up there with everybody. Do not come at me with our food scene.
2: Art, entertainment, Uh, recreation, and accommodation.
3: I'm sorry. Slam, St. Louis Art Museum, the Contemporary Art Museum. We have amazing galleries. I could keep going, but I don't even need to. Beauty,
2: fashion, and shopping.
3: Yeah, there's some shops. Yeah.
2: so and A be- lot of beauty.
3: Beauty. We have great salons here. I I mean, is it New York City? No. Or do we have our hair done in, a, in an appropriate fashion? Oh, yes, we do. we do.
2: Yeah. And then wealth and success category total. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, three of the top 25 richest suburbs in America are Frondinac, Ladue, and Town and & Country.
3: Okay. Check, check, check. Yeah. So. And we're j- should we write a strongly worded letter? I think that's a good to idea. What's this magazine? What's yeah. this magazine?
2: Uh, it's called, and uh, this is the bad part about it. It's called Lawn Starter.
3: Lawn Starter.
2: Yeah, Lawnstarter.com.
3: More like Yawn Starter, am I right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> well done. Just saying. Don't thanks, diss Emily. my city. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. How bad am I getting beaten on the poll so far?
3: Let's hit refresh here pretty handily randy i'm not going to lie so so far uh whitney houston 82.7 percent of the votes checking in the chicks 17.3 as it should be
2: yeah listen to the chicks and change change your mind
3: someone even responded is randy smoking the devil's lettuce this morning
2: uh no no ganja here we don't have (laughs) any of that acapulco (laughs) black going so no we we aren't puffing the magic dragon this morning (laughs) So I, I emailed the the people just don't remember it for whatever because it wasn't during a war and it was Tampa and Oakland in the in the Super Bowl. It was a fantastic anthem. All right. Coming up next, <laughs> we've got the fight coming your way on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on
1: 101 ESPN. <laughs>
3: Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. We're late getting to the fight. Apologies to our contestant, Joey. But we had a pretty heated debate last segment about the greatest national anthem prior to a Super Bowl. I voted for Whitney Houston, the correct answer. Randy voted for the Dixie Chicks. And prior to us coming back on air, he was making me watch a YouTube performance from the Chicks. And it was fine. It was fine. No Whitney. That's all I'm saying. It's no Whitney. But let's welcome in Randy's competition today. Joey is with us. Good morning, Joey.
7: Good morning. How are you doing?
3: Would you like to weigh in on this national anthem battle? Have you seen both?
5: I have seen both, and i got to go with you, Michelle, on the Whitney Houston one.
3: Thank you, Joey. Just watching that back, don't you feel so proud to be an American? Whitney hits something inside you, all those emotions.
5: Yeah, I I listen to country all the time, but uh, that Whitney— It kind of dropped everybody, I think.
3: I agree. Well, Joy, let's see if you can drop Randy in the fight today. Let's get rocking and rolling. I'm hoping to. I hope you do, too. Question number one. Today is Wayne Gretzky's 60th birthday. How many Stanley Cup championships does the great one have? Three, four, or five?
5: Uh, I'm going to say four.
0: How many seasons did Lou Brock lead the league in stolen bases? Is it six, seven, or eight?
8: Eight.
3: Okay, Joey, question number three. Who is the only blues player to win the Calder Memorial Trophy as the NHL's rookie of the year? Is it Barrett Jackman, Alex Petrangelo, or Eric Johnson?
7: Um let's go. Let's
5: go with Alex Petrangelo.
0: And last question, Adam Ottavino was traded from the Yankees to the Red Sox yesterday. Who drafted him, the Cardinals, the Rockies, or the Yankees? Rockies. All right, checking our score here.
3: Randy's on his way in. I'm sure he's out. It's going to take a minute. He's probably out in the hallway showing this Dixie Chicks video to everybody that will listen. Mark (laughs) my words. He was very confident in his choice. Were you showing that Dixie Chicks video to someone in the hallway, Randy?
2: I was not. Uh, I was talking about the merits of an air fryer with the one and only (laughs) uh, Mike Ryder.
3: I'm surprised that you haven't been showing others that national anthem. Well,
2: everybody pretty much knows how great that rendition of the anthem was.
3: I got a good 30 Mm -hmm. seconds of it before you had to bounce into the cone of silence. It was fine. Yeah, It
2: was fine.
3: Talented. (laughs) Talent. No Whitney. That's all I'm saying. We need to play an excerpt. I don't know if we're allowed to do that. But yeah, we will. Okay.
2: Anybody can play the anthem.
3: Okay, we'll get it done. Uh, Randy, By please. the way,
2: after 9-11, did you know that they uh, released that as like a, a single? And it was top, if not number one, it was top 10. Wow. Her, Whitney's anthem.
3: Oh, Whitney's? Yeah. Yeah, of course.
2: Yeah, pretty good.
3: I, we should start the show every day with that Whitney anthem.
2: Yeah, it'd be like the Riz show.
3: Yeah. yeah. Except with an amazing anthem.
2: They do do the anthem every day.
3: But not Whitney's anthem. That's true, yeah. Not Whitney's anthem. True. True. Question number one. Oh, Randy, I'm sorry. Please say good morning to Joey.
2: Hey, Joey, how you doing? Hey, good, sir. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Yes, sir.
3: Randy, today is Wayne Gretzky's 60th birthday.
2: Hey, the great one.
3: HBD, great one. Yeah. How many Stanley Cup championship wins does he have?
2: I believe he won four... And then he got traded, and then Mark Messier won a fifth with the Edmonton Rivals. So I'm going to go four with the great one.
0: Randy, how many seasons did Lou Brock lead the league in stolen bases?
2: Ooh, this is a good one. Let's see. I'll go... Just so that I, I know that I have this, I'll, I'll use the lifeline.
0: All right, your options are six seasons... Seven seasons or eight seasons? I'll go eight. All right, Randy. Who is the only Blues player
3: to win the Calder Memorial Trophy as the NHL Rookie of the Year?
2: Barrett Jackman.
0: Uh and- <laughs> Joey.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
0: And last question. Adam Adavito was traded from the Yankees to the Red Sox yesterday. Mm-hmm. Who drafted him?
2: The Cardinals drafted him with the first round pick.
0: We have got a winner.
3: Go crazy folks, go crazy.
1: We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carecker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Nah.
3: <laughs> Joey, I know. I can hear it. I can hear how disappointed you are, but he is Megamind for a reason. Apologies. I know. Randy Beach four two. But it was a good fight by you. Uh, good fight. I
5: listen to him every morning, and my daughter taking her to school is always like, Daddy, hey, can we please change it? <laughs> I said, I just can't. You got to listen to the great one. You
3: do.
2: You <laughs> do. You. So.
3: He is the Whitney Houston of Sports Talk Radio hosts. <laughs> All right. Let's run through the answers for everyone else playing along. I'm not
2: a swimmer, but I'm a better swimmer than her. Randy.
3: Randy, Randy, have some respect for the dead. (laughs) Anyway, today is Wayne Gretzky's 60th birthday on a positive note. Um, He has four Stanley Cup championships. The, oh, excuse me, Lou Brock led Major League Baseball in stolen bases eight seasons, 66 through 69 and 71 through 74. Quite the run there. Mm -hmm. No pun intended. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Eric Jackman is the only Blues player to win the Calder Memorial Trophy as the NHL's Rookie of the Year. That was in 2002. And Adam Adovino was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals back in 2006. First round, 30th overall out of Northeastern University. Joey, thanks so much for playing. Have a great day.
2: Yeah, you guys too. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Joey. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up. If the Cardinals are to be terrific in 2021, how much of an X-factor will their bullpen be? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Michelle, we talk a lot about the Cardinals and their offense, but we really don't talk about their bullpen much. In the last two years, the Cardinals have had the lowest bullpen ERA in the division, the relievers ERA three point eight eight, and that was sixth in Major League Baseball last year, the twenty or in twenty nineteen. Uh, in 2020, their earned run average of four was 10th in MLB and third in the National League. And they have the third most saves in the majors since 2019. And we know about all the arms, but I think we do tend to underplay, even with John Brebia gone, the ability of this bullpen, which should be even better, I would think, with the return of Jordan Hicks.
3: Absolutely. The bullpen has been a solid component of this Cardinals team for the past few seasons, Randy. But... That's something that the team should be able to write in pen. Maybe not in Sharpie because injuries happen, Mm -hmm. but I would imagine it's not in pencil. You're going to write in pen that you're confident in your bullpen. When I look at X factors for this team heading into the 2021 season, as we've seen the past couple of years, strong pitching can only get you so far. If the offense remains stagnant, if they don't see any sort of an uptick in offensive production, it's not going to matter how great the pitching is for this team.
2: But the thing is, if you have a better chance of winning, obviously, if you allow one or two runs. Right. The Cardinals, the, the magic number is four. When the Cardinals score more than three runs, their record is unbelievable. And when they score three or fewer, it's terrible. But I'm of the opinion that if the Cardinal pitchers perform up to what their level should be, and that rarely happens, is that you get everybody performing to their level. If you can make it a five-inning game with the number of arms they have coming out, you can play a lot of 3-2 games. And all of a sudden you can take that number from four being the magic number to three, Mm -hmm. and you can win 3-2, 3-1, 2-1 games. That's what they're going to have to do to win. And I do think that when you look at the the wealth of arms especially if you get into the eighth and ninth with a lead and you have Gallegos and Hicks at the back end of the bullpen you're going to win a lot but when you have those two and can add Ryan Helsley to the mix and you can add hopefully uh, Cody Whitley to the mix plus you have Gallegos uh, or I mean uh, Cabrera uh, along with Andrew Miller and Tyler Webb those numbers they don't lie those are real numbers and getting Jordan Hicks back is going to be a huge part of it. But I do think that if you're looking for a reason that the Cardinals can succeed in 2021, the bullpen is going to be a massive part of it
3: because we've seen the roadmap. We've seen them do this in seasons past. And I think that's, part of what the Cardinals are banking on if, and with their inactivity this offseason. Yes, they want to accomplish their goals of evaluating their talent internally and of course saving money during a pandemic year, but I think that they're looking at the success that they've had with their pitching and they are looking at certain f- pitchers returning to form, whether it's a Miles Michaelis or a Jordan Hicks, Mm -hmm. and they're thinking, our pitching has put us in a position to contend for the past few seasons, and if we can replicate that in any way, and hopefully have some sort of a turnaround with the offense, we're going to be in a pretty good position, even if we don't make any moves or not. And yes, a lot of that is predicated on what's happening around the division, but I do think that this is the roadmap to their inevitable version of success.
2: And Taking everything else out of the equation, the biggest reason the teams win now is because of great bullpens. The, the Dodgers, Dodgers have a lot of great things going for them. But the main reason that they're really good is because they always have a good, solid, deep bullpen. And they added Mookie Betts last year, and that made a difference. When you look at the Rays, why were the great Rays great last year? Because they had all kinds of different arms coming out of their bullpen. They had seven different guys with seven different motions and seven different spe- velocities, and they were able to, to be great. When you look at the Red Sox, when they won in 2018, as great as the starting pitching was, it was the bullpen that won it for them. If I were putting together a team, the first thing that I would do, and I'd work from the back, from the ninth inning back, Mm -hmm. I'd put together a bullpen. And I I can get by if I have eight relievers that can all pitch. I can get by with starters that are only giving me four or five innings. And then I can find a way to manufacture and make runs. But the hardest thing to find is... Is a group of our arms like the Cardinals have at the back end of the bullpen that you can count on every single day.
3: I think you're right. The consternation that fans have about the state of the Cardinals right now has in a lot of ways minimized the success of the bullpen and how Mm -hmm. effective they've been. And if you add a Jordan Hicks back into the equation, and we don't know what role Alex Reyes is going to have or Carlos Martinez, we don't even know exactly what the group as as a whole is going to look like. But the numbers, as you said, don't lie. And they've been really strong for the team and uh, will hopefully continue to be this season.
2: I know analytics have taken over, and even analytics at times are wrong. And a few years ago, actually it was uh, 2004 when Bill James first got to Boston, 2003, and Bill James said, "Out ah, closers don't matter. And that was the philosophy then of the sabermetric movement was you, you can get a closer anywhere. But then they didn't win in 2003, three, so they went out and got Keith Folk. And the closer even, I think, among the analytics movement is important even though it's not a must for them because they say it's really fungible you can find them all the time but having one is key and i always go back to whitey when whitey got bruce Souter and said okay i've got my ninth inning guy that's the most important i need to win the ninth then i'll win the eighth then the seventh and the sixth and you build your bullpen from the back uh, from from the end of the game back and get a great pitcher to pitch the eighth and another guy to pitch the the seventh who's you you can't get five closers you there's too many egos. You can't have Raleigh Fingers and Bruce Suter in your same bullpen. Although it would have been fun. Would have been, been cool to have. But I think that's the way the Cardinals have done it. They've done a great job with Hicks of having the ninth inning guy and then working their way back so that you can have that five inning game. And if there is one part of this team that I'm excited about, because I we've had the questions, every single starter, even if you sign Adam Wainwright, every single starter, starting pitcher, there's questions about mm-hmm. offense, serious questions. The one thing that I think you, you can be excited about is what the bullpen's going to do.
3: But there has to be a balance in any successful team. And if if the pitching staff from the first inning to the ninth inning is not getting run support, it's,
2: yeah. it doesn't matter. No, there's there's no doubt.
3: <laughs> you know, and so that's why as as interested or intrigued, I guess I should say, I am about what the rotation could look like. And as excited I am about some of the arms in the bullpen and watching them do what they've they've been doing it's hard for me to fully go there because i don't know what the offense is going to look like and as we've seen pitching can only get you to a certain point
2: pitching can win you world series
3: not if you can't score runs
2: the san francisco giants when they won their first world series were 10th in the league in runs scored uh let me see going all the way down boy that was they scored 697 which was a 100 fewer than the reds scored that year the, the Giants, based on great pitching and primarily a great bullpen, were able to do it a couple of times, 2010, 2012, 2014. Yes, you do need to score runs, but if you have great pitching, that's the way it starts. It, it's it, oh, Let me put it this way. If, if you gave me the choice between a great pitching staff and a, a great offense, I'm taking the pitching staff every single time.
3: I'm glad you picked the Cardinals.
2: Yeah. So I did. Yeah. But you can do it. It's just you you have to have you, you have to have the arms in there. And you, if you can find a way to manufacture runs like the Cardinals did two years ago, not so much last year, you can find a way to to manufacture wins as well. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to go back to our Hall of Fame discussion and Alex Petrangelo playing against the blues for the first time. We'll hear some of what he had to say next on 101 ESPN.
1: We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Character and Smallman, 903, time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame will announce their voting tonight. They may not get any new Hall of Famers. And Michelle, I got to ask you this question because I've been to the Hall of Fame and I know you love baseball. Will you feel like if Bonds and Clemens specifically aren't in the Hall of Fame, maybe the best position player, one of the three or four best pitchers of all time. If those guys don't have plaques in the Hall of Fame, will you feel like the Hall of Fame is any less legitimate?
3: I will feel like it's incomplete. I know that there's some gray area there and I know it's a difficult choice for some of those writers but when I look at Barry Bonds how can you look at the game of baseball and not think that he deserves based on what you've seen on field his production to be in the Hall of Fame
2: if you just look at what happened on the field yeah you got to have Bonds in you have to have rose yeah you have to have all of them in because right. what they did was exemplary it was spectacular
3: It's part of the story of the game, as you always say.
2: Yeah, right. How can you tell the story of the game? How can you have a museum of the game and not have Bonds or Clemens included? Now, if you go in and you go through all the displays, you'll see Bonds and Clemens stuff, but I'm talking about honoring your greats. Whatever the circumstances were, those guys were great. And you have to have plaques. And by the way, I think Mark McGuire should be in the Hall of Fame, too.
3: I agree. I also think it's It's difficult because each individual has the debate that surrounds them each debate is different but when it comes to off-field stuff and i know that some conversations are about performance enhancers and some conversations are about the things that that person has done in their personal life or perhaps said but or maybe it's gambling when it comes to pete rose betting on games how i just think that it's very difficult to strike A certain line. And when you're moving the goalpost all the time for different people, that is when it gets murky for me. Who, Mm -hmm. I'm not a voter, but if I was, who am I to say that this person's discretions are greater or less than that person's discretions? Because they all have them. Some might not be as public, some may not be considered as severe, but what you and I consider severe could be different. And I also think if you're looking down the road here, every athlete now has a platform. They have multiple mm-hmm. platforms. They have an Instagram, they have a TikTok, they have a Twitter. They're being interviewed all the time. Players are not going to get to walk away unscathed anymore. Players are going to inevitably in the future do something that casts them in a certain light for some people. Will it be cheating or as severe as that? I don't know. But what I'm saying is. I think it's going to continue to get murkier now that people are expressing themselves and mm-hmm. the athletes have as much power as they do now yeah. based on what we saw in the past
2: I want to w- add one other aspect to this and this is about the writers and I, I know they work hard the people that fill out their the ballots really look hard at what they're voting on and put a lot into it but one of the problems that baseball has is that they do play 162 games and I believe that we have a much greater appreciation for Scott Rowland here in St. Louis than somebody who didn't see him every day has. You look at the numbers, and you you can say offensively, clearly defensively, he's one of the best defensive third basemen in the history of the game. He, Nolan Arenado, Mike Schmidt are are right there. When you look at what he accomplished offensively in his career— It's hard for me to imagine that somebody would keep him out. But maybe I'm biased because I did see him play every day. And it wasn't just the great defense or the numbers he put up. But it was the things that he did to help his team win on a daily basis, too.
3: It's very difficult because a lot of these voters have seen one player more than another. And it's just human nature that if you have more of... A body of work on one person where it's the eye test not just what you're reading about or what the stats tell you that you're more inclined to vote for that person yadier molina is the perfect example of this when he goes up for debate there's going to be people who have seen him play and who are going to want to vote for him more than others there's still people that don't think that yadi is a hall of famer but i don't know how you watch yadi day in and day out and you don't miss any of his mm-hmm. games and you don't think that what he has done is hall of fame worthy Great point
2: Meanwhile, the Blues are going to start a brief road trip tonight in Vegas. 7 o'clock with the pregame, 8 o'clock the faceoff here on 101 ESPN. And the Blues will play against Alex Petrangelo for the first time. Our Blues insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, spoke to Petro yesterday and asked what it's been like to move to Vegas.
4: Uh, well, unpacking wasn't very, very fun, I'll tell you that much. It's nice when you can just, if you move within the same city, it's a little bit different. This is the first cross country move, so it was a big. Uh, big ordeal for us obviously with four kids um you know it was difficult it, it still is you know difficult when you're somewhere for so long everything's so easy and you're comfortable and so certainly getting outside of our comfort zone was uh definitely different for us um i came out first to unpack and get everything organized and then Janie met me here um you know a week later so uh, you know, again, we're still still adjusting, and Janie's mom has been in town and a few times, my brother-in-law. So it's been nice to at least have the family. It's such an easy flight to get here. That was one of the things that was appealing for us. Janie's gone back to St. Louis already once, too, so that's nice.
2: Now, Michelle, here's a question for you. Okay. If you had a new home that happened to have a 16-car garage, mm-hmm. would you feel it incumbent to have a car for each spot?
3: Not right away.
2: No, I don't think so. But
3: yet. I think over time, I might want to collect.
2: That's. Uh, I wonder if Petro's got to make that decision.
3: I wonder if you use that space to build something else.
2: Probably like a uh, one of those uh, jump cushion things for oh, the kids. Put that yeah. in the garage.
3: What's it called? Bouncy castle. Bounce,
2: yeah, there you go. Bounce house. in, in well, they, they don't even need to, in Vegas. They don't need to put it indoors, but they could. It gets pretty hot there some in days. Garage. Meanwhile, he is playing against the Blues. What kind of nerves does he have?
4: You know what? A lot of people have asked me if I'm nervous and all that, but I think I've I made the decision, and I think if it was something that was like a trade middle of the season and I wasn't expecting it, I think maybe it would be a little bit more difficult. But going into the process, you know, we've kind of wrapped our head around it once it actually happened, so we're comfortable with it. And I'm sure it'll be a little bit strange tomorrow, but again, I, I said yesterday the guys asked me. I was like, listen, I, eventually i got to play them, and i was just do it eight times in one year and get over it. <laughs>
2: And not only does he get to play them, but he does get to play them eight times in one year. Originally, that wasn't the plan, but the Blues have been moved into the Honda West. What did Petro think when he found out he was going to be playing in the same division as his former team?
4: I mean, I laughed. I was like, oh, of course. Of course, they're in our division. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you, you know, it hasn't really I don't want to say bothered me, but I, I, again, it's kind of come to peace with it, right? Yeah. So, um, I think the weirdest part is when you're still friends with everybody, right? Not just the players, but the staff and everything. That's the that's the hard part. But, look, I played against some of these guys in Olympics, and I played against my teammates in world championships and all that stuff. So, um, you know, a couple shifts in and get a few bumps here and there. I battled with David Braun for six years in between being teammates or whatever it was. So, I mean, you, you end up having some good battles. I think, uh, I think you enjoy it. I think it'll be a good game. They're a good team. We're a good team. So I think that's the way I'm looking at it.
3: What happens on the ice stays on the ice, and I have no doubt that Petro is going to come out with a certain level of intensity to face his former team. I wouldn't be surprised if his teammates feel the same way about this. They want to go out there and have a good showing for him versus the team that he is no longer with. And the Blues probably feel the same way. I imagine that they're looking at this as a statement game with the 5-1 Golden Knights coming in. They've been playing great. The Blues have obviously had their patterns of winning the first game, losing the second, not being able to maintain that intensity. So not only are they probably wanting to make a statement for their team, for their new teammates, but they need to right this ship and mm-hmm. correct this pattern, self-correct this pattern before it gets out of control. And I would like to think that starting this with a certain level of intensity and finishing it with that same level of intensity through the second game should be one of their goals heading into this series. I
2: like that idea, playing with a level of intensity and matching the opponent's effort yeah. and intensity throughout.
3: For both games.
2: Novel thought.
3: Both games. Okay, let's do be it. That cool, yeah. Okay, good. Who do you think has more to prove, the Blues without Petro or Petro on his new team?
2: I think the Blues without Petrangelo.
3: I agree. I totally agree. Because the Golden Knights look great right now.
2: And we know what he is.
3: And we know what he is. Absolutely. And he's still the new guy in town there and hasn't probably settled in 100% yet. But you know eventually what you're going to get from him. Whereas the way that this team gels and this team comes together Mm. is still a question mark.
2: That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and thanks to Jeremy Rutherford for the sound from Alex Petrangelo. He'll have a piece up, or does have a piece up, at The Athletic. Jeremy Rutherford, our blues insider from The Athletic. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on
1: 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: Michelle, I got to tell you one more thing about Alex Petrangelo's Vegas house. Okay. The 16-car garage has a kitchen with a big screen and a couch.
3: The garage?
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, because who doesn't need a kitchen in your garage? Yeah. Everybody's got that fridge out there.
2: I wonder if Petro uses the three giant toolboxes. Probably not. Probably not.
3: I would imagine if your home includes a 16-car garage, you're paying someone to do the maintenance on the home.
2: I would... And think or the so. cars. Uh, yep, absolutely. It's time for.
3: You're killing me, smalls. I'm just thinking about how sick the garage fridge must be.
2: Oh, no doubt.
3: Most garage fridges are very busted down, they're a little crusty, if you will. Mm, yeah. You just keep frozen pizzas and some beer out there. Yeah.
2: This one's spectacular. And there's I'm a sure. sink and the cabinets and everything. Great. Yeah.
3: I mean, good for him.
2: Hey, if you He's have needs, it. if you have needs and you're capable of fulfilling those needs, go ahead and do it.
3: Is that one of the ultimate signs of luxury? Having a top-notch fridge in your garage.
2: Yes, and a full kitchen in your garage and a is also. Full kitchen
3: in your garage. Okay, Randy. Let's pivot. Let's let's. Alex Petrangelo is a star in the NHL. Yeah. Let's pivot to stars in the NFL. How about that? We know that quarterbacks now are on the move more than they really ever mm-hmm. have been. We talk a lot about the power NBA players wield about their future and getting to where they want to go but Adam Schefter had a great tweet yesterday Randy he said there's roughly 10 quarterbacks 10 locked into their starting jobs for opening day of the next NFL season this is expected to be an unprecedented offseason of quarterback movement he says his over under of teams changing quarterback this offseason is 18 and he has a list of quarterbacks whose futures are in question may I read you the names yes Deshaun Watson, as we know. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, even though we think he'll probably stay in Green Bay, certainly a question mark behind his sure. name. Matthew Stafford's on the move. Dak Prescott, what's going to happen with him? Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz, even though it seems like he's going to stay in Philly, mm-hmm. we 100% don't know yet. Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Cam Newton. Teddy Bridgewater, Mitchell Trubisky, Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Alex Smith, and Ben Roethlisberger. And then Schefter adds, that list doesn't include other free agent-to-be quarterbacks such as Andy Dalton, Tyrod Taylor, and Jacoby Brissett.
2: Isn't that amazing? Now, as you read that first group, it struck me that it might be smart for owners to, in their next, and by the way, their CBA, they just signed a new 10-year CBA But it might be beneficial for the owners to go in and take a look and try to make it so that moving a player that you have under a big contract isn't so onerous. Because it'd be, as we know, nearly impossible to move Aaron Rodgers because Mm -hmm. they still plan on winning. If you move Deshaun Watson, you aren't going to win for three or four years.
3: But at least you get something in return.
2: Right. I just, uh, I think it's going to be very hard for some of those teams to, Jared Goff would be another one, to move those players. Carson Wentz. Yeah, that's amazing to think that in the 32-team league that the over-under is 18 teams that could have new quarterbacks
3: and some of these guys on this list with question marks behind their names are young like Mm -hmm. the fact that a sam darnold is on this list is outrageous
2: yeah the evaluation of quarterbacks happens way too fast now they don't get an opportunity to prove themselves and that's why you have to give the packers credit because they want to develop a guy and they're going to know what he's what jordan love is capable of before he ever probably sets foot on the field for one of their games
3: Let's remove Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, and Ben Ben Roethlisberger mm-hmm. from the equation here because we know who those guys are. We feel comfortable saying we know yeah. who these guys are. What other name on this list pops out to you that if they went to another location, another franchise could really make a difference in the way that not only the success of the organization flows, but how we view them as a quarterback?
2: Stafford is far and away above everybody else. If Stafford would go to Pittsburgh, they'd be back in the playoffs and be a Super Bowl contender. If Stafford goes to Indy, they'll be back in the playoffs and be a Super Bowl contender. I don't think there's another guy on that list where you can say, if he goes to a decent team that is the quote-unquote quarterback away, that they would be really good. He's the one guy, to me, that stands out.
3: I'm also looking at Dak Prescott.
2: Yeah, and obviously, he's been great. My only question about him... And I guess with medical technology now, we shouldn't question him. But it is all about the health of Dak. But he's underrated. He's really... Heck, he's he's led the number one offense. And then when he got hurt, the number one offense in the league.
3: I don't know if he'll stay in Dallas or not, but he might be somebody that if they're looking to make a move or if they're not sold on Mm -hmm. the medicals, that you pick up the phone and call them and you could strike a deal.
2: Yeah, and I would think that they would franchise him and that he would accept the franchise tag coming off of the injury and then just come back prove himself again and hope that they don't franchise him next year.
3: Do you think that he really wants to stay there with the way that this has all played out and he's felt underappreciated and probably undervalued there?
2: No, I I would think that any
3: And think about the state yeah, of the team, too. That's the
2: thing. Any smart player s- sees from the inside why that team Hasn't been to the Super Bowl since 1995.
3: But that's not going to change for a while.
2: No, that's why you want to get out.
3: Right, (laughs) right, exactly. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, one quarterback that's certainly not on that list and isn't going anywhere anytime soon, Randy, is Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. And he has an interesting, shady side to him. From a competitive nature, he'll tweet things or make little comments when he feels slighted only after the fact, after he's proven himself, which I love mm-hmm. about him because he's such a personable guy. But I like that anger and that chip on his shoulder that mm-hmm. he's got inside of him. So ESPN had tweeted out "Tail of the tape heading into the Buffalo Kansas City game. And here's the quote from Matt Hasselback. In the last six games, Josh Allen has been hotter than anybody. He has a better QBR than Mahomes, better completion percentage, more touchdown passes, and there is an intangible Allen is bringing right now. So what happened after the game? You might guess it. Patrick Mahomes quotes to it with a yawning emoji.
2: <laughs> he's great. He's great. And he'll. he's kind of like... Brady and that he looks for that chip to put on his shoulder whether it was being the 10th pick in the draft or uh, Chicago not taking him or Houston not taking him or things like that he's looking for reasons to be highly motivated clearly and they work
3: so the graphic that accompanied the tweet it had four different categories where you could either say that buffalo had the edge or that kansas city had the edge head coach went to kansas city brandy reed mm-hmm. defense went to kansas city number 1 wide receiver goes to Buffalo, Stephon Diggs wow. and quarterback went to Buffalo for Josh Allen. And even though Josh Allen had an incredible season, he really elevated that team in so many ways. I don't, and, and Hasselbeck watches all the tape. Mm-hmm. He he dives in. So he must have been pretty confident in giving the check to Buffalo, but I still would never give the nod to anyone other than no, Patrick Mahomes. That's,
2: that's just stupid because logically speaking, if kansas city called up buffalo if uh and said we'll trade you patrick mahomes for josh allen buffalo would say okay let's do it before you get off the phone let's do it now patrick mahomes is better than josh allen i'll do respect to allen who did have a great year yeah patrick mahomes is better so i think that might have been just a hot take
3: well it worked
2: yeah it did for it patrick got, yeah got
3: him hot yeah You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, are you a fan of the everything bagel? Do you like the actual bagel? Have you had the seasoning from Trader Joe's that everybody seems to love?
2: I am not. I'm more basic than that.
3: You're a basic B, really?
2: Yeah. So it's I, I like plain. I like cinnamon crunch. I'm not the everything, though.
3: Wow, okay. Well, then I know your answer for this. So Jenny's, great ice cream brand, came out with an everything bagel ice cream. I wanted to see where you landed Ooh. on this. Cream cheese ice cream with everything bagel gravel with the seasoning on top.
2: No. You say no? Pass. Certainly not for ice cream. Hard Pass.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could be good because Jenny's is great. Mm -hmm. But it just seems like a lot of these food things we're seeing, people are trying to get too cute. They're trying to get too cute, too creative.
2: Right. And I think people probably made that argument about the everything bagel right off the bat, right?
3: That is too cute, too many seasonings, too too much going on there.
2: Yeah, too much going on there. I have to believe that somebody probably thought that about dark chocolate and sea salt, which winds up being delicious. But everything bagel ice cream. No. Cookie dough ice cream makes sense uh, Cookies and cream Makes sense Bagel ice cream just doesn't make sense
3: Everything bagel too, there's some yeah. garlic in there
2: Right, yeah, no, it just doesn't Go, it doesn't work nah. Doesn't make sense
3: I'd try it, but I don't think it would be In my Mount Rushmore flavors
2: What's that uh, Trader Joe's ice cream that you like?
3: Cookie butter. Oh, yeah, there you go. Cookie butter is the bomb. (laughs) It's dangerous. I can't even go down the frozen food aisle there because I'll get it. And I just, I don't need it.
2: It's really good for you.
3: Cookie butter ice cream?
2: Yeah, it takes care of all your dairy needs for the day.
3: And your sugar consumption? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's some stuff in there that you could use, I'm sure. You're killing me, small. Okay, finally, quickly, Randy. We thought with the coronavirus, with the pandemic, quarantine, that we were going to have a baby boom. Everybody's Mm -hmm. locked up. We just thought, hey, Mm -hmm. natural to think about that. But this report from NBC that it says it's a baby bust. Initial stats showing that there's been a significant drops in births in December in 2020 when the expected boom was supposed to start, which shocked me because it seems like everyone I know is pregnant.
2: I wonder why this has happened. Maybe they are pregnant. Maybe we just got going as a society a little bit later.
3: Yeah, maybe the beginning was too stressful. Yeah. And we'll see it in the next few months. I right. don't know. But that really shocked me because I thought that was, a, if I was betting on this, that that would be a guarantee.
2: Especially in those months where you had nobody working in offices, everybody being at home, getting right. bored. Say, okay, well, let's, and they wind up pregnant. Yeah. So I, I can totally see that.
3: It was even down in Florida, Randy, 8%. Wow.
2: Wow. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. You got it. That is your killing me, Smalls on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to Dave Gosher. He's the voice of the Vegas Golden Knights, and he's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and
1: Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
2: That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. The Blues in Vegas tonight, 7 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. 8 o'clock faceoff with Joe Vitale and Chris Kerber calling the action. And we head now to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Dave Gosher is the play-by-play man for the Vegas Golden Knights. And he has been obviously covering Alex Petrangelo since the start of the season. Dave, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning here in St. Louis. How are you doing?
5: Hey, good, guys. How you doing out there? Everything's great. Let's start with this.
2: How has Petro fit
5: in? I think he's been good, to be honest with you. You know, Pete DeBoer was saying yesterday he thought maybe his last game was his best uh, so far with the Golden Knights. And and I think that may coincide with, with it was the best game they've played overall. I mean, if you look at it, it was a it was a one nothing win, uh, their last game in Arizona. But, you know, their first four games before that, the first five games before that, They had found some different ways to win, but I think they felt like they had another gear to get to as a team. I think Petrangelo would fit into that description overall. But when you look at it, you know, a short training camp, no exhibition games, which, you know, we've tried to kind of emphasize out here, guys, like you can't overstate that. Even though if you're a veteran guy like him, you might only play in two or three. They're valuable, especially coming to a new team. But overall, he has been good. And I think coming off probably his best game so far.
3: Dave, we know that this is a big deal for Petro to face his old team, especially this early in the season. Do you get a sense that the team wants to make a statement for Petro versus the Blues, or is this just another game for them and another strong opponent?
5: Yeah, I'm sure there's part of that, right? Especially before the game, there's probably a lot of talk of it. I, I would say to a degree, once they drop the puck, Emily, I think then you're just playing, right? You're just kind of getting into the flow of the game, and and you want to come away, in, you know, with a, with a win. Um, but he's, you know, he's been um, you talked about it yesterday. I thought it was funny. I hadn't thought of it like this, right? Normally, well, they only play the Blues a couple of times a season, right? Now they're going to play them eight. So we said, what the hell? We might as well get it out of the way and play each other eight times, uh, you know, that first season since, uh, since changing teams. But, no, I think there is something special there. I mean, we've had it here in Vegas with some other high-profile guys, uh, you know, with Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone and Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, going back to, you know, the play against their old teams. And, uh, you know, tonight's going to be at Petrangelo's turn.
2: Dave Gosher, the voice of the Golden Knights, with us on 101 ESPN. Dave, this is an interesting Golden Knights team. Obviously got close again last year. They go out and get Petro during the offseason and made some sacrifices to to get Alex Petrangelo. And Doug Armstrong talks here about having a a three-year window. Is there a window that's open in Vegas? And how long would you suggest that that window is?
5: Well, I think it's open for a little while. You know, they obviously they signed Petrangelo long term. Mark Stone's here a long time. Um, you know, and, and they've got other guys. William Carlson signed a long term deal. Alex Tuck. Um, it, it's interesting, guys. You know, Bill Foley and a lot of owners don't talk about it this openly. He talks openly about wanting to win three cups in eight years. So we'll <laughs> see if that happens or not. Um, but yeah, the, for them, the window's wide open. I, you know, it's been amazing to see. Uh, and I think, look, it was all set up, obviously, by year one and that amazing run to the cup final as an expansion team. That put them so many years ahead of your typical expansion teams. And now, you know, coming off going into the conference final last year uh, for the second time in three years, and as we sit here right now, tied for the most points in the league early this season. So, yeah, they, uh, they're they here to win it right now. They're, they're not going to just, you know, tiptoe their way into the ocean. Uh, they're here to be a team that's going to be a contender every year. And, and that's you see them make moves like going out and, and grabbing somebody like Alex Petrangelo, which just uh, kind of, I think, is a good way to encapsulize what their mindset is here.
3: Well, they're off to a strong start, Dave, 5-1 and one record. And as Blues fans head into this series versus Vegas, what are some early trends coming out of this team? What's the early identity of this Vegas Golden Knights team?
5: Well, I think they'd like to take the blueprints of their last game, which was um, they played smothering team defense in their last game against Arizona. Um, it, it was the best game they played. I think that, as I said before, if you looked at their first few games, uh, you know, they were, before their last game, they were 4-1. and one. Well, you could have made an argument they could have easily been 2-2. Two and two. You know, they came back with a goal late against Anaheim to, to tie it and then win in overtime. Uh, they relied on big third periods. They've been the best third-period team in the league. Uh, the last stat I had was they had outscored teams 11-3 to three in the third period. Um, so I think, if anything, they'd like to play some more complete games like they did the other night. They've been able to ride both goaltenders, Mark andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. I think Fleury's been the better of the two so far, but they've got a straight rotation in net with, uh, with what they feel. If it's not the best goalie tandem in the league, is certainly uh, you know, in that discussion.
2: Dave, a couple of years ago, the Blues traded Ryan Reeves to Pittsburgh and got back Oscar Sundquist. And Blues coach Craig Bruby calls Sundquist the engine of their team. He's so important to what they do. How important is Ryan Reeves to the success of the Golden Knights?
5: Yeah, significant. And, and I think his play and, and hit the, the play of his line, which would include Tomas Nosek and Will Carrier, their ability to um, – to really trying kind to of set the tone especially physically with Reeves and with Carrier uh, but yeah Ryan's um, you know he's a guy that I think he uh, we say he drags the team into the battle yep. you know just with his emotion right and you've seen that you know his time in st. Louis and um, you know it's a little maybe a little bit different this year with a shortened season and the, and kind of the the uh, every game is important especially now with you know I don't think you're gonna have a lot of time to catch up later on down the road but over the course of a long regular season, you know, you're playing that third game in four nights somewhere, and you need someone emotionally to drag you into it. And that's what Ryan does. And, um, you know, a guy that sticks up for his teammates, you guys saw that in his time in St. Louis. Um, you know, he's made a couple of – made a be, behind-the-back or between-his-legs no-look pass this year, so all of a sudden they're calling out the Revo pass. You know, <laughs> so it's uh, – you know, he's throwing his hands off in a different way. But, yeah, you know, a significant part of this team. Um, you know, and I think he's got an eye towards – you know, maybe when he's not going to play anymore, he's been pretty involved with getting his own brewing company going up here as well. And, thinking about the next stages of his life. But, yeah, he's been, a, he's been an important piece of the puzzle for them.
2: Hey, Dave, one more thing. Before the season started, I, I looked at this division, the Honda West, as the Blues, Vegas, and Colorado, and then everybody else. And I, I know you guys haven't seen Minnesota. I still don't know how good the Wild are. But I wanted to get your read on what you think of this division in terms of the, the quality of teams and maybe the, the ranking of teams. If I was right there about having the big three and then the rest of the, be- the best of the rest.
5: Yeah, I'm with you. We said the same thing out here that, you know, you've got three real power teams in the NHL, not only the West, but the NHL, right? With, with uh, Vegas and Colorado and and St. Louis. Uh, I've been surprised by Minnesota, but I, I give Bill Guerin a lot of credit. You know, he, um, their new gm he came out and said look if i don't change things then things are not going to change here and he's made significant changes with that team uh, you know we get a couple of looks at anaheim um you know still a team in in, in rebuild we get a look at at arizona we get four straight looks at arizona um you know a team that you know kind of in a simple you know where are they as a team right now you know they've it kind of, you know, last year they they get back to the playoffs for the first time in eight years, but can they make a push to get back in this year? Haven't seen the Kings yet, but, you know, we know they're they're in the middle of a rebuild as well. So I think that, yeah, when it's all said and done, but I was surprised. They looked down at Colorado's three and three, you know, out of the gates. But, again, I try to kind of keep somewhere in the back of my thinking that, no, you know, no exhibition games and, and everybody in the same kind of rocky boat just trying to sort out their game on the fly and i think you know just speaking to vegas the fact they've been able to win five of their first six when at nights they have not been their best but they found different ways to win i think is a is a good sign for them for the future
2: should be fun for these next two dave thanks so much for taking some time with us we appreciate it
5: all right, guys. Great to be with you. Take care.
2: See you later. Dave Gosher. He is the play-by-play voice of the Vegas Golden Knights on 101 ESPN.
3: Looking forward to this one tonight and to- and tomorrow.
2: Number seven, Alex Petrangelo. And, by the way, this is a game that easily... Thursday. if uh, it, it, it could have been a, a series of games that started at 9 or 9.30. I do think the league, to an extent, did the Blues a favor with the schedule, with the 8 o'clock starts in the Pacific time zone. I'm... I can handle it a lot better than the 9 or 9.30 starts.
3: Couldn't agree more.
2: Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac is coming your way on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. He gets ready to take on the 10 o'clock hour with BK, Brandon Kylie. Looking forward to that. Did Good you guys see it? the first edition yesterday? Did, yeah. It was fun. Yeah.
9: BK does a great job. And he, Tanner, you guys, I know you have an excellent producer now, but Tanner pretty sharp he's re- very sharp he's pretty good. sharp
3: you've yeah. assembled a great team dan
9: I, it was all my doing <laughs> yeah. yes it was all my doing michelle you know i said
2: hey we have to have this guy gotta have this
9: guy no but it's great a lot of fun
2: these are always fun nights when the blues take on a former teammate and we've seen it a lot with great players that the blues have had in the past have we or, ever or when the cardinals take on a, a former player or when a former player takes on another team It'll be pretty cool to see Petro suiting up in the number 7 for Vegas against the Blues.
9: Yeah, I, I'm interested in watching that. I'm also going to be watching the Hall of Fame vote, so i, I got to be going back and forth mm-hmm. if we have a Hall of Famer that gets elected to Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame. But in terms of, of Petro, I think we've had so much downtime in sports. I don't know if you guys feel this way. Like, we've had so much downtime. Games aren't being played that this just got so much attention and not mm-hmm. to say that it wouldn't have anyway because he's the captain and he brought the stanley cup here and that that would have happened but i just feel like we've discussed it so much it's kind of like yeah it's the first game it's going to be odd seeing him out there there's some memories that come to mind but yet we talked about it so much we've kind of anticlimactic in a yeah, yeah exactly
3: I prefer to have it this way. Me too. To have it quickly rip the Band-Aid off because even though we're watching the Blues and you see Tori Krug and Mike Coffin, you see the new additions out there in place of Alex Petrangelo, to see him in another uniform going against your team, it makes it real. It's reality hitting you in the face. It's over. There's no more to discuss. He's with them. He's now the opponent. And
9: I bet what they do on television, and you can listen to the game on 101 ESPN, um, and I think the game is on Fox tonight. I I would be shocked if they don't have a tease of some sort before the game. And a do do you know, one of those things. <laughs> and for seven Bob all years or whatever he was, you know, he was the captain of the blues. And they're going to show him st- holding the Stanley Cup in some of his great moments and maybe his first goal. And. And there'll be a look back throughout. I'm sure the broadcast of milestones of Petro, which will I, I think you know you'll have those feelings. But once the first game is over, it's over. And I, I think if you would have had this on an opening night, it'd be different than to your point, Michelle. That now we're already into the season and teams are kind of getting established. We know what's going on. I just think it'll be not. I guess anticlimactic is the right word. But I think you'll you'll still have some of those feelings of. What he meant to all of us. Yeah. If you're a blues fan, Tori Krug bought his house.
3: That's right.
2: Did he really? Pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's pretty yeah. good. I remember. I, I don't remember who was living in whose houses house, but either Chaser or Twister was not playing here. One of them was, and the one that was here was renting from the player that was not here, and they fought, even though the one was renting the house from the other. Ch- Chaser and Twister fought. I have a transition here.
9: Um, Travis Ford, I believe, bought Matt Holiday's yeah. home here in oh, St. Louis. Yeah. And Matt Holiday is going to be a guest of our show in the 10 o'clock hour. Oh, there you go. That's so called a the Segue. Segway,
2: you know. All the bouncing yeah. ball. Just had to tell you that. Look you at know? that. You're yeah. a pro dancer. I remember, I just, you know, thinking about that. Uh, walk, it, the old, at the old arena, there was a, a little place that was like midway between the two dressing rooms. And I was walking in. It was like a little kitchenette area. And actually, it was down in the parquet section. But it was before the game. And Twister and Chaser are getting together. And they're (laughs) parting. And as they're parting and they both start walking away from each other, Chaser goes, you're just a role player.
9: (laughs) Is that what he said? (laughs) Yeah. And
2: they're the same player, except Twister's a lot bigger than Chaser.
9: (laughs) I think the oddest thing I saw when I was covering hockey, um, I don't know if it should be odd or not, but... um, I I would be doing the intermission interviews and I'd look down probably about 30 yards down the hallway and there's an athlete a defenseman his shirt was off the helmets off all the pads are off but he had the suspenders up to keep the you know the mm-hmm. pants or whatever and his mm-hmm. his skates are untied and he's smoking a dart. And it's Alexi <laughs> Havanoff. And I'm like, oh, there you go. and I said, Alexi, how are you? I, "How are you, Dan. You know, he's like the deep Russian voice. And we'd have a nice conversation as he would have a smoke during the middle of a game. You know, ca- just-
3: casually ripping heaters. <laughs>
9: it's hockey, baby, you know.
3: OK, I have a question for both of you.
9: Yeah.
3: In the chase twist scenario, if someone was renting your house and then they beat you in the fight, do you up their rent?
2: Yes. I as, think you have as to. As the
3: landlord, do you kick something in there? What happens on the ice should stay on the ice, but I might say, hey, maintenance.
9: Maybe some furniture.
3: <laughs> something.
9: Furniture, maybe. Yeah. Um, Show them who's tu- boss. Tupperware of some sort. <laughs> Something's
3: you know, got to be done. A little
9: gift for you. You know, sorry about your front teeth, but, you know, here's some plates. <laughs> you know. Yeah, 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 I could I could see that. You guys ready for the Hall of Fame? I'm excited about this. I get excited about this.
2: I We have had multiple discussions about it this morning. Who do you and, think gets in? Well, you you see my list right there and I I'm with you. I don't think anybody does. But man, I wish we could get past this whole the, the whole PED thing because yeah. it just complicates it. Well, it's very hard. Yeah, and, and I do think though that at the end of the day, if you think about the Hall of Fame and you think about trying to teach young people about the history mm-hmm. of baseball, you you can't tell that story Without guys like Clemens and Bonds and Maguire, I would agree. And Sosa. I, I think um, if
9: I had a vote, and I don't, it's the writers. Um, I would uh, I would put in the the PED guys. I'd put them all in. I'd put in Bonds. I'd put in Clemens. Um, Ramirez. I would put in Manny Ramirez. I would put in um, probably Sheffield. Sosa. Sammy. Yeah, I, I think I I think I do it. Um, Maybe begrudgingly, I, I would. Yeah. You know, I, I I think maybe you you, you set up a, a portion of the hall and say that these are the guys that were suspected or had been named in mm-hmm. the Mitchell report or tested positive or whatever. But it's really hard to overlook their numbers and when they yeah. played. Um, and and maybe that's just part of the history of the game and and it's on their plaque so that when you're going. A hundred years from now, and those generations of fans are going through Cooperstown. They, they read about the history of the game, and I feel the same way about Pete Rose. I, I would do, put, too. I would put Pete Rose in them. Now, here's another question, and, and
2: we talked earlier about Kurt Schilling, how he could be I a, think that's the only one that maybe is the question tonight, but that's my point. Anyway. But He's a, a polarizing personality either way. You can have the guys in the Hall of Fame and not give them a speech. Whoever it is, can you do that? Sure. They don't. Yeah, you don't have to give them the ability. I don't think. I think the Hall of Fame can make that rule if they want. That um, it's a tough one. And if you're a
9: voter, or if you're a writer, and he's really said some awful, despicable mm-hmm. things about writers, that's a tough one to punch your ticket for. And I can understand where a writer would um, have their feelings with that. I, I think the only way I would be able to vote is I would just try to take myself and all personal feelings of political aspects of it, how he talks about writers, uh, whatever. The guy was a racist, all these different things, terrible things. And just simply look at, and I'm not saying that these people are, I'm just talking in general mm. of any player, player X, Y, and Z, and just say, here are the numbers. Is he a hall of famer or not? And, and maybe that's the way my guideline of putting somebody in the hall of fame. Now I knew they, they do have technically what would be the, uh, sportsmanship the or the clause, basically a morality clause, and I understand that. I, I just, I wonder if that's the way you get around it by just saying, "Look at the numbers. Here they are, and the person is either in or out by what they did between the white lines." That's what football does.
2: They've got some pretty nefarious characters cool. in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, here we go again. I was going to say, here we go oh again, no. Michelle. Actually, I, I'm. I, I was actually. So, hey, I I'm was, referring more to Lawrence Taylor. Well, I, I was actually.
9: Well, hey, yeah, that's a nefarious character too. Yeah, but he's not a murderer. No, I was thinking though about that, like, or an alleged murderer. So
3: alleged, yeah, Randy.
9: I mean, do, can you vote for a guy that if he committed murder, could you put? I was thinking about that driving in. Could you do that? I mean, do, do you sit there and say, "I'm going to give him his time and adulation," and um. You know, the, the being in the Hall of Fame, I mean, I'm I'm almost countering my own point because I'm saying only look you, at what happened in the white between the white
2: lines. But do you honor that guy? Do you honor somebody? That's what I'm saying. I, what's I,
3: the delineation, though? Your moral compass is always going to be different yeah. than mine. And that's why I think it's hard because the goalpost moves depending on sure. the person voting. And. For some people, it will be murder. For some people, it would be a racist. For some people, it could be cheating. But that makes it very difficult to discern who is a Hall of Famer if you're bringing in things that happen outside of the white lines.
9: Yeah. And that's why I always go back to, do I just look at what they did and that's how I vote? And then if you do that, you know, maybe that's uh, the way you get through it. By the way, we're just told that Matt Holliday will join us tomorrow. Scott Rowland will join us today. Oh, very nice. Yeah, Yeah, Bulletin, apparently official. Uh, he is going to jump up on his list, by the way, on, yeah. the, on the MLB list. I think he's headed to the Hall of Fame. I talked to Larry Walker yesterday, had a great conversation with him. Um, he's actually down in Mexico. And um, he said, that, I, I said, how's your life changed? And he said, really, not a lot because I've been in lockdown. Yeah, I said, you know, you're, you're the second Canadian guy to to get this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your your country is so proud of you. He's like, you know, I do the interviews, but yet I'm not in front of anybody. He said, the thing that really hit home for me is when you walk down the Hall of Fame, the plaques are there and they have an empty spot where your plaque goes and you get to sign it. Oh, that oh is and so nice. Cool. And he said, you sign it and they tell you, hey, next time you're here. Your plaque is going to be on there, on that wall. And uh, he said that's when it really hit home for him. But he just just great things to say about St. Louis. Such a class guy. And hopefully Scotty Rowland has that same trajectory that uh, Larry Walker had. Looking forward to you and BK coming up. Okay, looking forward to it. Thanks.
2: That is Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up. Thanks to our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Great job, as always, by Michelle.
3: See you tomorrow, Randy.
2: And for all of us, we thank you for tuning in. Texting in, being a part of the, of the show till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise.
8: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama.
2: The people who looked through 200 resumes to fill a job also waited 40 minutes for their internet to dial up. You don't
9: wait 40 minutes for your internet to dial up. You use Upwork to quickly hire talent.
7: This is how we work now.